Hello, Tome Show listeners. This is Sam Dillon, your Tome Editor, and the DM of the D&D Brief Podcast. D&D Brief is now going to be hosted on the Tome Show Network. To find back episodes, search under the Actual Play tab at thetomeshow.com. As always, thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to D&D Brief. I am your Dungeon Master for the evening, Sam Dillon, and I'm here with my always wonderful players. Let's start with Karu this time. Hello, my name is Karu. I am playing Marcel Duran, a Lutrinian Storm Sorcerer. Excellent. And David. Hi, um, I'm playing Axley Tillingquest, who's a rather mischievous and curious halfling bard. Excellent. And Nina? Hi, I play Emeryn Ornestra, who is a human storm clerk. Excellent. And last but not least, Matthew. Hello, I'm Matt. I'm playing Kono Slendath, a CL Warlock of the Great Old One Pact. Excellent. Who wants to do a recap? A very fast recap. I can do a, I can do a recap, but I don't know how fast it'll be because a lot happened. Okay. Uh, we <laughs> fought a giant dinosaur of some sort that uh, terrified us all and wound up being made out of mud and apparently some other mud creatures as well that were able to sort of congeal into form one big one. Uh, we managed to overcome those, uh, helped in large part by Emerin creating a wall of ice out of nowhere. And Dino went splat against it. <laughs> uh, after we dealt with all that, we Alconos talked to the chief of the Hoka and the Hoka and a few other ones about the piece of coral he's been carrying around with them and got some very interesting history of their culture and their uh, some of their religious beliefs as well. And he's going to have a really hard, apparently, a really hard choice to make, probably in, in the near, very near future about what he does with his coral and maybe how that's going to relate to them. Uh, we went to, and then we went and started exploring the, the temple of basically this mud temple that was the Hoka's uh, incubating grounds. And we were trying to clear that out and did some explorations that found that possibly some, somebody else may have, may have recently been there, but the whole thing was kind of in a state of sort of collapse and disrepair. And we wound up, sort of going down into a underground level and came into a room that was remarkably similar to one we found on the Crab Island. Almost exact same details, in fact. Complete with the writing on the wall and the spinning crystal lens. Okay. Is there anything anyone wants to add to that? We found a uh, lot of books. <laughs> we found a lot of books. find a lot of books. Find a lot of books. Uh, there, there was one one interesting thing I think that should be mentioned was we played with the bowl of with the water symbols. You got a wave uh, servant, mm-hmm. and uh, I was uh, Marcel was able to ride it with uh, Mr. Octopus inside <laughs> the wave's water. <clears throat> that was fun. Yeah. It also occurred to me later that if. Um, the familiar was still in the wave when it came back to the um, bowl. I'm just imagining it was just splash, and I was left with a bowl full of octopus. <laughs> yes, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> the current room that you're in is this sort of oddly shaped room with um, 
it sort of goes uh, 20 feet down a hallway, and then it, it sort of stair steps out and opens up. And uh, there are three bookcases on the northern wall, and there's a enormous um, sort of magical sigil item drawn on the floor. And floating above it, a, a, a few feet in the air, is a lens that is very similar to the one that you found in the room on Crab Island. And then behind that is a sort of smaller shrine uh, that's that's uh, made of coral. And then the two circles that are that are next to that shrine are braziers that are unlit. And so that's sort of that's sort of where everyone is. And uh, the last thing that we did before we stopped playing what, uh, last time was we ended up uh, discussing uh, we ended up discussing the sort of the fact that on those three bookcases uh, most of the books are tattered and old and look like they'll crumble to dust if you touch them and in fact if you do touch them they do start to sort of degrade and fall apart but there were nine items that did not do that and I think I gave you the names of those items, uh, and then we ended. Yep. Yep. So, and so that's where we are. So, okay. let me let me um, remind you of exactly what our information is about this room. The room is roughly rectangular, but the southern wall sort of steps out. Uh, in 10-foot increments. So every square on that uh, image is 10 feet, not 5 feet. So there's a stair-step pattern stepping back to the, the southern wall of the room. Um, the ceiling, uh, remember the ceiling in the stairway and in, in the hallway leading down to this area was very, very low. And so mm -hmm. some of you had to sort of bend over as you moved through there. But in this room, the, the ceilings go back up to a height of 12 to 14 feet. And the room is dimly lit with a sickly blue hue, and the blue hue is coming from, or I should say the source of light, is uh, par partly a large circle inscribed on the floor. There is a six-pointed star and several sigils etched into the ground there, and uh, within the etchings, it's glowing blue, and that's very dim, but the, there's a uh, lens hovering about um, you know almost four feet in the air in the center of that circle and it's spinning around slowly just like the lens the large lens that was in the in the room in the crab island that you were at so the lens is the same size as the other one it's about a foot in diameter um, the middle of the lens is also glowing with a sort of blue energy and as it as it turns, as it spins, of course, it's projecting the blue only in the direction coming out of the concave side of the lens, just like in that crab room. Mm -hmm. And then uh, there is also an altar there that's made of coral, similar to the altar in the main worship hall. It's a few feet in front of the southern wall. Next to it, on either side, are two unlit braziers. And uh, along the northern wall is a set of three large bookcases that are stuffed full of books, scrolls, and little rolls of parchment. And uh, basically everything on the shelves there 
is in very bad shape. They're brittle. There are pieces flaking off. In fact, you can see on the floor in front of the bookcases, there are little bits and scraps of paper and lots of little piles of dust where uh, the paperwork that is on those shelves uh, that has been disturbed, a lot of it just um, basically has disintegrated as it's being touched. However, there were nine things that you found uh, on the shelves that are preserved enough to be um, usable or at least partially readable. And so just for the audience's sake, because I know that I think uh, Imran probably wrote these down or Nina wrote these down, right? Um, yeah. let, me, let me give you the, um, the name of the items. Uh, the, the first one is a rather large book that is uh, named The Atlas of the Kingdom of Dupern. The next is called Pactus Hydronicus. Pactus Hydronicus. The third book was named Amethyst Wards. Wards, W-A-R-D-S. Uh, next was something called Fluid Factotum. Fluid Factotum. Next was a scroll. And at the top it said Scroll of Vile Undoing. But the words of the scroll are written in primordial. Next was a scroll with a Flesh to Mud spell on it. After that was another scroll with a mud shape spell on it. And then there is a book called The History of the Green Bloods. And then the last but not least, there was a book called Herbs and Tonics of Calrot. And uh, you know that Calrot is the region that... Calrot is the lake that used to be the main largest lake in the continent where Calport is. And so Calport was in the Calrot region. That's why Calport is Calport, because it's the port in Calrot. Okay. So what would you like to do? <laughs> how, how, how fast does the lens spin? Uh, it's slow, but not, I mean, um, let's see, uh, probably about every 45 seconds, it has done a full revolution. Okay, so I want I want to wait for it to go by before I go into the room, and then I want to remaining invisible. I want to like follow it around, but staying kind of out of its light gaze. Okay, whichever way it rotates, I'm going to follow those behind it because I want to like circle around to get close to the altar. Okay, um, you have no problem doing that. Are Are you going to step on the blue? Because no. it's it's basically in the middle. Uh, it's it's hovering in the air about four feet above the ground, in the middle of that blue circular, yeah. arcane circle. No, I'm going to stay out of the circle. Okay, okay. Uh, you don't have any problem doing that. You have no problem going around it. There's nothing blocking you. There's enough room uh, around the edge of the uh, the circle that you can actually get around just fine. If you want to make okay. it over to that uh, the altar. Okay, and I guess as I pass by a bookcase, I'll I'll grab one of the items as I pass by. <laughs> okay, have you told Goodbye. everyone else? Have you told everyone else? To, I I can't remember what we did at the very end. Did everyone else come into the room or? No, I don't think we got that far. I think okay. you ended this poked okay. my head in or went inside. Yeah. All right. We're we're still waiting at the end of the yeah by the staircase. Okay. Okay. Um. So you make it down to the to the altar what would you like to know 
Okay. Uh, I'll take a look at it and see what's what is on it or what it looks like. It looks very similar to the altar in the main room of the temple. It's made of this weird uh, coral. It's mostly white, but there's some blue and a couple of streaks of purple. Um, it has on top of it a, a bowl, which uh, you assume is some sort of offering bowl. And that's pretty much it. There's really nothing that's else it. on it. Okay, I'll, I'll swipe the offering bowl and I'll continue around the side and then I'll okay. go back out the way I came. Okay. I'll go back up to where it is. So we have another uh, crystal room like the one on Crab Island with one of those blue discs rotating around, casting its blue glow. There's, some, there's a bookshelf with a bunch of items here. Here's a book I grabbed off of it. It's called Cactus Hydronicus and this was the bowl that was on a coral altar in that same room. There's no one else in there that I can tell, but there's a pentagram like blue shape etched into the ground underneath the, uh, the spinning disc. Well, I'm not burning another hand to get rid of the disc. <laughs> I think that's fair. <laughs> but I think, I think we can assume like, like we activated mistakenly in the last room that there's some kind of possible alert or communication method that if we don't know what we're doing, we might open that up again. Well, if we absolutely need to shut it down, I think I may have a way to do that now. Oh, yep. Um, if there's like, if there's any kind of, if there is any kind of magic effect on it, I might be able to turn that off. Well, there are numerous interesting scrolls, a couple that look like spell scrolls and ones that are uh, books that are, that have lore and uh, information in them, I think would be valuable. I mean, I could, I could just go pilfer everything, just like I got these things staying out of the gaze of the crystal and we could leave. Or if we want to step into that room, we risk the chance of activating that, that disc. Do we, do we want to activate the disc? Part of me says maybe. Because <laughs> I'm wondering... Because <laughs> I'm wondering if we... Konos, if what you said is true and we can kind of get rid of the magic, I wonder if you can get rid of the magic on the teleportation circle and then see if we can activate the disc so that we can talk to whoever's on the other side. Okay. Well, I can I can basically do this once at this point. I'll, then I'll need a bit of a... Um, so it's a matter of kind of picking and choosing what's going to be what we think is the best thing to turn off. Okay, but magic circles tend to be really picky about how they're written, right? So if we were to break the circle on the ground, that would probably disable the circle from working. Assuming that's what's that's what's making it work in the first place. It's probably best Well, to I'm not thinking of, of the lens itself, but I'm thinking of disrupting their ability to teleport here. Right. Yeah, that would be nice. Mm-hmm. It might require actually, like, either destroying the ground enough. I don't really do that kind of thing. I can do that. But yeah, if we can destroy the ground enough so that the teleport circle is no longer complete, if they try to open a portal, it'll likely fail. Um, And that'll give us an edge if we want to actually activate the lens and see what we can see on the other side, if it's the same thing we saw last time. And they won't be able to teleport to us. Well, either way, I can't really do much from, from all the way back here, so I'd have to, okay. I have to get closer anyway. 
Well, let me go. Let me go grab all those things first, since I was successful doing that the first time. Because if we have to beat a hasty retreat, those are really valuable. I think it'll help right. us in our quest with the, the knowledge that may be contained in those tomes. So let me go at least get those and then come back and. Then we can My make. big thing is I don't think this is a case where we can just leave. We want to regain the use of this place for the right. haka. Yeah, and so, so far we haven't found anything that looks like an actual incubation grounds either. Yeah, that's the problem is it does not in any way resemble a simple solution so much as just getting rid of a, a force that's taking over their right. breeding grounds. This does not look like what they were expecting it to look like either. So how are we going to transmute it back to its former state? That may be up to them, honestly. Yeah. If these people destroyed their their incubation grounds and installed a freaking library in the same spot, uh, not much we can do about that, but besides making sure that they can't come back. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, let me go get those things and then we can figure out what we want to do with the circle. Actually, before you go, check and see if the books look dusty, if they've been used recently or if they're a little bit unused and dusty. Okay. Most of the dust, most of the shelves is actually rotten away. So these are preserved in good condition. So presumably these have not been here as long as all those other books that were rotten. It's someone's active library is what it seems like. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, my, my whole sense is between the, the barrels of water, water and wine that were upstairs on top of the trap door. And now this, there's somebody else here. And that's why we should probably be fairly quick. Cause we could get surprised if we just happened to be you know, here. Someone stepped away. So. All right. Go for it. Right. Be right back. Did you, well, did you mention did you mention the curtain being there? The, uh, well, it goes a curtain. Which curtain? There was, there was one there's on the other curtain, side of the room. There's a curtain on each side of the room, mm-hmm. right? That blocks line of sight. Right. So maybe the rest of the party should wait behind the curtain so we're closer. Oh. In case something happens. I agree. And before you go, actually, can I just can I just thumb through that book really quick that you have? The yeah, yeah, I have, Pact- I have it. I'll just I'll just like skip yeah. the first page or two and just see if there's anything interesting in it. Um, the Pactus Hydronicus on the f- so there's a couple of blank pages, and on the first page it says Pactus Hydronicus, and it's stamped in silver foil, and then under it it says the history of the Blue Gate and its influence. Oh, this. This seems relevant. Okay. Uh, is it a small book or a big book? It's about, um, a, you know, an inch thick, solid, with thick paper. And okay. it's it's been hand-bound, and it has silver foil stamping on it. The cover is blue. All right, so this would take some time to go through. Yeah. Okay. We're going to have some reading to do when we get back on that ship. Yeah, I'll save that for for another day. Um, okay, so I mean the other the other thing that we were kind of figuring out was that this was you know there was the talk of the Palace of Mud and the Howling Gate, and this could potentially be what this is talking about. Mm-hmm. Do we want to try to maybe open this up, or is it, do we think it's better to to leave this alone? I feel like if we open it up, we're not going to be able to put it back together, and I guess the our current goal is to get it reverted back to its original state. So it depends on which goal you're looking at. You want to get more information? Maybe. 
But if we want to do this and get out of here, kind of just got to get rid of everything and put it back the way it was. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably what I'm leaning to. I mean, I don't, well, I, I have no idea what, I mean, I have a couple ideas about this howling gate, but I don't really know. And I'm not sure I want to f- be proven <laughs> wrong or right at this point. <laughs> I don't think we have all the elements to be able to open anything. Because if we're looking at all of the writing, there's a lot to it. And then if we're talking about just the Howling Gate, my handwriting is terrible. What's the first word? Is it scale the Howling Gate in the Palace of Mud or seal? Seek. 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 My handwriting got really bad there. (laughs) I was scribbling at this point. Yeah. Seek. Okay. So what? I still have that stupid... Crab fork. <laughs> I don't know what to do with. <laughs> I can try something with that, but I don't know. I feel like, okay, let's take it one step at a time. Let's get in there, get these books, maybe skim through them. Maybe two people keep watch on each side of the room. Two people start scanning the books and pocketing them. And then we'll go from there, depending on what we find. Okay. And I guess... If Axley has told us this, there's that coral altar in the room, too, if you want to check that out, Carlos. Sure. One step at a time. All right. So I've already, I've already, I thought I already went back to start getting Okay. <laughs> yeah, this, was, this was the rest of us yeah, talking while yeah. Axley's already, he, filled, he's already filled his pocket at this point. There's, okay. this, there's this, this pile of stack of books and scrolls floating, popping, floating yeah. back, floating yeah. back okay. towards us because you're still invisible. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're still invisible. Yeah. Yeah. So all of a sudden, this big pile of eight other <laughs> scrolls and books appears and falls to the ground. <laughs> he's right. st- he's still I'll invisible. For, for you I'll to see anything he's carrying, he has to drop it. So That's hilarious. <laughs> I'm going to – I'm snagging the Amethyst Wards. Okay. And then I think I'm going to head to the other side of the room and check what's on the other side of those curtains – and keep watch over there, and I'll just holler if there's any trouble. Okay. I'll you fall wanna, behind. Go ahead. Uh, roll me a perception check, Imran. Sure. That's a 13. Um, the passageway behind that curtain looks and feels very much like the passageway you came from on your side. Okay. It goes in the opposite direction of where you came, but it's at the same basic angle, and the ceiling gets very low again, and it's very wet and muddy and dark. Okay. I'll follow in behind uh, Emeryn and carefully approach the altar. Okay. I'll say I, I never stepped inside the uh, the circle, so yeah, I'm avoiding the circle as like perimeter walk all the way around. Okay. I also um, didn't let the, the uh, glow cast its gaze on me. So I guess we'll find out what happens when it makes its revolution. I don't know. I don't think it did anything before, did it? It wasn't until we touched it that it activated. Right. So it wasn't right. until we spoke the you phrase spoke, that it you spoke Oh, we spoke the phrase. phrase that's yeah. right. Okay. Yeah. So I think, I think we're okay as long as we don't. So, uh, so Imran and Konos, you're not taking any care to not be in the passageway of the light. I mean, in, in the- I'll avoid it because I'm just going in and out, but I don't know if Konos can avoid it if he's going to be examining the altar. 
Um, I, I'll, I'll try to voice. I guess I'll maybe like wait till it's kind of pointed as far away from me as it could be and then move in, get with maybe about 10 feet of the altar. And I guess I'm just kind of be like sort of pacing in a circle around okay. it and just slowly, slowly going around and just kind of examining with my eyes at this point. Okay. I mean, it's not hard to avoid getting the beam from the lens on you. I just need to know if that's what you're doing. So, yeah. um, okay. And uh, Marcel, what's Marcel doing? I'm going to stay on the one on the side we came from. Okay. Um, just keeping a ear out to if anything happens uh, from where we came. Okay. And I guess I'm going to thumb through the, I want to thumb through the history of the green blood, see what I can figure out about that one. Okay. So the history of the green bloods, you start thumbing through it and you see that it is filled with hand-drawn pictures of um, mostly reptilian creatures, uh, but all water-based creatures. So, like, if there's a snake in there, it's a sea snake. And um, there are several sort of lizards that are more on the amphibian lifestyle side of things. Um and there are also uh, some items in there that you wouldn't necessarily think of as green bloods, like um, a squid and an octopus. And there's a couple of pictures of uh, like seals and whales. And for each of these um, images, there's an entry with a count and uh, like a not no date, but a count and a like a location like a description of uh water was you know 300 meters deep and you know two pods of whales went by with six whales each and you know it's sort of like an observational guide with locations mm -hmm. but no dates but it talks about the weather and how good or bad the weather was and how windy it was how deep the water was and what the behavior of the creatures were in each entry uh I, the way i'm talking about it makes it seem very long but it's actually very short there's about a page and a half for each creature entry um and some of the creature entries have more than one intrigue because they saw them in more than one place. Um, but does it read more like a like an expedition journal? It reads like a bestiary of observed behavior in certain locations. So, for example, the whale entry has five different locations, and in each location, they noted how many were there, uh, the relative depth of the water how healthy the whales seemed, which is kind of odd, but then also whether the whales were feeding or just traveling through. Um, so if it, if it was an expeditionary journal in your mind, you're thinking uh, they must've had books that listed the other items. Cause this is only showing the water-based creatures that they came across and it's, okay. it's not dated. So it's not in a diary style. Right. Is there any, like, introduction or outro to the book? Uh, no, but on the, on the front page uh, where it says, you know, it has uh, written in very nice, very, it's in common, but it's very nice writing. It says, you know, the history of the Green Bloods. Um, and then under that, in a sort of handwritten scrawl, obviously written by someone else, it says, it says, Larillac awaits. 
Laralaka waits. How do you spell that? L-E-R-A-L-A-K. Laralac. Curious. I'm wondering, is there any, like, entry in that book that would be, like, that looks like or are the Hakka? Uh, there is a Hakka entry in it, actually. What does the Hakka entry say? It lists uh, five different populations of Hakka. And it uh, talks about the size of the island that they're on uh, and um, whether or not they are actively breeding. Does it say that they're actively breeding in the book? It does. All five, all five of the groups, it says they're actively breeding. Mud Swimmer mm-hmm. Clan is not one of them. Oh, Interesting. But does it describe the the island it describes in the book? Is it the one we're on? Nope. Huh. I'm going to ask, does anyone speak primordial? Yes. A little bit. Oh, here, here, check out the scroll. It's labeled <laughs> scroll of vile undoing, but it's in primordial. I can't read it. I'll go over to Axley and take a look. Okay. Um, from what you gather, this scroll... Um, without reading the entire thing because you don't want to ac- accidentally activate it, the idea that you get is that this scroll turns an individual's reliable defense into a great weakness. So, 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 so mecha- in mechanical in mechanical terms, that would mean, say, if something has a resistance to a particular type of damage this turns it into a weakness oh interesting okay thanks that was i, I was wrestling with <laughs> the, the the substantive uh text i wasn't sure if it meant that you would face an undoing of a vile nature or this was undoing vile <laughs> uh, those are not mutually exclusive <laughs> yeah <laughs> i just thought it might point to like it might be a way to like undo what had been done here which is pretty vile so that's why yeah. i was curious right uh, so, Konos, do you want to give me an investigation check for your coral altar investigation? Uh, Eleven. Okay. You don't find anything particularly odd or different or new about the altar. Um, it's made of a sort of generic coral. It It's not actually made of the same very blue and purple coral as the initial one. Um, but it is coral, and it's relatively fresh, you can tell. Um, but other than that, you don't really notice anything all that special about it. It's so since Conus is checking out the, the altar, I'll go over to him because I want to show him. How, here's the bowl that was on top of it. It was right here at this okay. location. Okay. Uh, the bowl is actually just a little brass bowl, which strikes you as odd, right? Everything else in this place is mud or clay or coral. Is there an underside to the altar, or is it just a solid It's just a solid piece stuck in the mud. I want to check behind it, see if there's anything hidden back there, any secret compartments. Uh, you want to roll me an investigation check? Um, what do I add to that for investigation? Is it, it's not passive, right? Correct, not passive. It's, uh, it's intelligence investigation. Intelligence. Investigation, okay. Uh, so that would be 12. Um, you don't really notice anything about the coral, but um, 
you notice that the braziers that are sort of, you know, as you're moving around the, the coral altar, you notice that the braziers look like they've been moved. Like they used to be behind the coral altar. You see two little circles where there was something, you know, the imprint in the muddy ground. Hey, look at this. It looks like those braziers actually were at one point behind the altar. Um, can I just go and check around the area where he's indicating they had previously been and see if there's anything interesting there? Sure. Um, either perception or investigation check. Okay. Uh, there's a 13 investigation. Um, it's pretty obvious that the braziers were there, uh, but and it's re- relatively recent. And um, you see a seam in the wall. The southern wall. Um, I'll point that out to everyone. See, maybe, maybe moving these, but maybe there's a door behind there, and maybe moving these back to where they were would open it. Well, if we move, if, if we move it back to where they were, then there wouldn't be room for the door to open, right? Is, it, is there that much room behind the altar? Uh, there's about five feet behind the altar. So, with those razors in that in place behind it, would there be room for a door to open? Uh, I mean, possibly if the, uh, if, if the doors open the other direction. Also, while this is happening, I've been thumbing through, um, my book, the Amethyst Wards. Okay. Uh, Sorry, I was going through my notes because Marcel, I have things to talk to you about. (laughs) (laughs) You mean when Marcel uh, tells you about what they found? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, do you want to try to move these back and see what happens? Let's do it. Uh, well, yeah. hold on, hold on. Uh, so which which one you have, the Amethyst Wards book? Yes. Okay. Uh, that is uh, inscribed with the subheading, A History of the Use of Amethyst in Binding and Summoning. A History of the Use of Amethyst in Binding and Summoning. And do you want to roll me a history check? Sure. Ooh, that's not good. Um, history is a four. <laughs> okay. I've heard of it. Okay. Uh, so as you're thumbing through, you see that um, there are lots of different images drawn on several different pages that show different circles and the types of sigils that get inscribed inside them. Um, And almost every single one of them has a piece of, uh, has a place for a piece of amethyst to be placed. Uh, And on the last page, there is a drawing of, and all the other drawings and all the other entries are They have an extensive uh, description and list of different activities and how this is used. And on the last page, there is a drawing of a very odd contraption. You're You're not even really quite sure what it is. It looks like it has um, it has mud in it and it has uh, some tubular things and it has some glass in it and it has different parts where pieces of crystal can be stuck in it and at one spot it has a big arrow and it says it says uh, 
it says master and that arrow points to a spot on the piece of equipment. You're not even really sure what you're even looking at. So it looks like a five-year-old scribble. Cool. Okay. Thank you. Yep. Okay, so you guys want to move the brazier? Yeah. This entire uh, time, you've been avoiding the light, um, but uh, it's going to take two of you to move each brazier, and it's going to be impossible to avoid the light while you're doing it. Okay. I mean, Axley is invisible still, so... I think at some point it's inevitable that... Yeah, it's, uh, we'll cross the streams at some point. Okay. So, <laughs> Might as well do it now. So then that's going to happen. Uh, so give me... Everybody in the room, give me a perception check. So I guess everyone except Marcel. 19. A natural one. <laughs> I know a natural two. Okay. <laughs> uh, Konos, uh, you and Axley m- m- go over and you and you're working hard to pick up this brazier, and it's a lot heavier than you thought it was going to be. It's empty, but it's the metal is just, which also again strikes you as weird that it's metal. That's that's odd, but it's really really heavy. The thing is really dense, and as you pick it up and you start to move, the light from the lens sweeps by you as it's moving on its rotation, and you notice that where it strikes you, right, your shadow is now uh, transferred to the wall, right? Your shadow is projected onto the wall next to you. But in your shadow, there's the shadow of your body, and inside of it are the words, Laralac awaits. And then as it it sweeps by, in common, as it sweeps by, it moves, and your shadow is no longer there, and there's nothing on the wall. I don't see this, do I? Nope. O- only uh, only Konos saw it at first. It, it wouldn't have affected me anyway because I won't have a shadow. <laughs> yeah, you're invisible, so you didn't. Yeah. But you also didn't see it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> only Konos saw it. Yeah, there's some weird, like, black white stuff going on here. <laughs> Anybody know the name or place called Laralac? Uh, yeah, matter of fact, Marcel, you Marcel, you have probably no problem hearing that. You're not that far away. Yeah, no, I was gonna. I was muted. Uh, oh, <laughs> yeah, I, I pipe up, going like, uh, "Yeah, it says Laralac awakes on the book I was reading." We huh. also found Hail Laralac on our ship. So all um, of you, you're all saying this. You're yelling this at each other out loud. No. <laughs> yes, you are. Yes, so yeah. as. As Marcel That's said, it. yes, it says Laralac awaits. And as Kono said, oh, does anybody know anything about Laralac? So the lens. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, boy. We spoke the words. We did it. <laughs> the lens stops. And it projects onto the back, the south wall. I was going to say the back wall, but the south wall. Um, so y'all might want to call Marcel in. <laughs> to see this, Call her I yeah, I run behind and I grab Marcel and pull, but I'm trying to be as quiet as I can. So the lens stops and it's it's projecting something onto the the back wall, and what you see is uh, you see this is the very first page of notes I ever took for this game. The what yeah, now? Let's go. Let's go way back. The Laralac. <laughs> First page of it. Yeah, you want to tell them where it came from? 
all of the um so we found all that scribbling on the walls in our in the master's cabins in the boat and we found like the symbol of adrum the house of adrum and we found hail larillac and when we made history checks we found out that that was the name of a powerful magic user of old who was notorious for something but we didn't know what he was notorious for and his his symbol is an eye symbol Okay, so that's how that all ties in. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I have a feeling we're about to find out what his story is. <laughs> so, uh, so what you see, you see a man. He looks human, and he has a scar on his left cheek. He's wearing a helmet that has a big amethyst stone in the front of it and two horns coming out on each side, and they sort of curl around. And he's wearing uh, blue and purple robes. And he is sitting on the back of an enormous manta ray, and he's holding a scepter, and he pushes the scepter forward, and he yells, Onward! And the ray begins to swim through the ocean. And you see that he is being followed by an enormous school of fish, and these are very thin fish with very sharp teeth protruding from their mouths. And following that is a group of crabs and lobsters and turtles and eels, all following. Behind that is a group of rays and squids and octopi and sharks. And following that is a group of these very strange humanoid-shaped creatures that have uh, these sort of flaps on their mouths and a few tentacles on their heads. They are riding sea lions. Next to them is an enormous group of sea elves riding ocean horses. Behind that is a group of sea gnomes riding jellyfish. And these groups are all followed by several pods of whales and squads of kraken. And there are so many creatures moving in mass through the ocean that it takes several minutes for it to pan and show you all of the entirety of the group. And you see uh, behind them coming another platoon of creatures. You see what you might recognize as Sahagwan and merfolk and tritons and sharks and more and more and more. And it looks like it goes on for miles. And there are so many creatures moving that the sea itself is being pushed before them and around them that it's causing massive tidal waves on the land. And as it sweeps by one final time, it sort of it sort of sweeps and it goes and it lets you see the same sort of image twice. And as you look the second time, you notice that there's something odd about all of these creatures. They look not alive. Okay. When when I see like my own kind among this person, I I can't help but just inadvertently drop the brazier and like, what the hell is going? On? Am I, <laughs> what, what am I even seeing here? Yeah. Actually, spoke the name Laralac. Is it, are we <laughs> is seeing Laralac? Is this Laralac? Could be. But he was wearing robes and has a scepter. He was supposed to be a mage of old. He should be dead at this point. 
you said like everywhere this procession went, there were like big waves that were following behind it or going and coming in front of it. Yeah, it it shows you a very brief scene. It pans through the majority of the first two groups of creatures uh, in this entire, I guess you might call it a parade of an army parade, I guess. I don't know how what Does you would call that. It seems like it's like going through the same scene again. Like, do we see the guy again calling onward? It shows you the same scene twice. It shows you the onward and it pans and it lets you see all of the different groups of creatures. I mean, there's some there that I didn't name, right? It just, it seems like it goes on for miles and miles. And they're all in these sort of little platoon groups. And then it pans out and it sort of goes above the ocean and it shows these enormous tidal waves battering the coasts of several different islands. Did we? And then when it, pan- uh-huh. when it pans in the second time, it shows him saying onward again, but then you notice all of the creatures are dead or undead, as you might call it. So wait, the first time it pans, it doesn't look like they're dead? It, it doesn't seem or like they just- are it's 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 faster. I look at I just look at Emerin and Marcel. Like, did we just did we just see the sinking? Did we just see what caused the sinking? You think that's what it's showing? I'm gonna try something. I'm gonna yell. I'm gonna yell out to the crystal. Algrath, the the name of the Harbor Watch guy. I want to see if it if it does it changes its view. If it shows something different. Nope, nothing happens. Nothing happens. Does it seem that the creatures that are being shown following this guy are like basically the ones that I just saw in the book? Uh, A lot of them are. Yeah. There are some there that are not in the book. Okay. And some that are not in. Yeah. I was going to say there's some that are in the book that are not there. Like, do we see any Haka in the scene? Yeah. There's Haka. There's Lutrinians. There's pretty much every, any kind of seafaring race, they're there. It seems to be leading an army of the undead, of various, every, like everything it's, it's come across, all the various creatures, has, it has joined an undead arm, his undead army. I wonder, is it showing us, the question is, is it showing us current, a current vision, or is this the past? I was going to say, if, if it's not the past, we're in trouble. If it is the past, it could. I don't think it's specifically the stinking, but it could be pertaining to that. Mm-hmm. We don't also, we just this activated is... this thing. Uh, maybe we should get around, you know, breaking the teleport. Sure. What we're assuming is a teleportation circle. Um, okay. Well, let's come on. Let's move. The, finish the moving the brazier. Let's get it in the so position. After the lens shows you that view twice, it shuts off. And then after 20 seconds, it starts rotating again. Hmm. That was different. It was, yeah. And uh, the person we saw in there, that didn't, rese- that didn't resemble either of the people we saw in the projection on Crab Island, did it? Yes. Oh, it did. Yes. Oh, great. Well, oh, good. Well, cool. <laughs> yeah, let's get this brazier, these braziers moved. Come on. So you can move the braziers with no problem now, except that every time it sweeps by you, it puts your shadow on the wall, and inside your shadow it says Laralac awaits. 
is it all is it always in the same place in the room or is it just everywhere everywhere wherever your shadow wherever it if you're because you're moving so wherever it hits and it projects your shadow in the middle of your shadow it says laralac awaits somebody else want to come stand in this light and just make sure this isn't about me (laughs) (laughs) sure stand in the light uh, same thing happens. It projects Imarin's shadow on the wall, and it says Laralac awaits. All right. Well, once we get out of here, I think I may have a way to answer some of these questions, but I don't want to do it now. Can I examine the circle on the ground? Does it look like the same one that was on Crab Island? Um, no. Uh, okay. you, can, you can roll me a Arcana check. Sure. I'm not rolling well. That's a six. Um, you know, to you, it just kind of looks like a standard teleportation symbol. And like you've seen them before because you know that uh, at the Temple of Goros on on, on in Trastenfin, they actually had the remnants of some older teleportation circles where the different temples had instant teleportation services from one temple to another from, from before the sinking. Cool. Um, but you never saw them working, but that's kind of what it looks like. The symbology is a little bit different, of course, but that's basically what it looks like to you that it's a teleportation circle. It's obviously not active right now, even though it's glowing. So it can be used, but no one's trying to activate it at the moment to get through. That's what it seems like. Yeah. At the current moment. Let's make sure that's permanent. <laughs> yeah. So the floor of this area is that weird clay stone that the Hakka used to build things. And so it would take you probably only about, if all of you worked together, you estimate probably 10 minutes to destroy the circle enough to, to scrape up the ground and scratch enough of the circle away that you're, you're absolutely positive that it's not going to work. Oh, so we're, okay. So we're physically going to destroy it. Yeah, you could physically destroy yeah. it. You don't. You don't need to use arc just because of the the um, the, the, the type of surface that it's in is is porous and fragile. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. Do we want to? Okay, there's pros and cons to doing this now and later. <laughs> because if we do it now, and there's a glowing portal on another side that we don't know about, and it stops glowing, then it alerts people that we're here. And they I don't think that's how portals work. Do they? I don't really know how portals work in general. <laughs> I as a care as a player know, but I don't know if I should. <laughs> uh, you can roll an Arcana check. Okay. It's like, how well. much does Moselle know sure. about portals? Yeah, Konos can roll as well. Twenty-three. Uh, yeah, that was that was a five. Okay. Marcel has no idea. <laughs> but uh, even if a portal on the other side stops glowing, then what does it matter? They can't come through. They could communicate with someone on this side to tell us that there's an intruder and then we're back with the crab situation behind us. <laughs> uh, Konos, you know how the standard teleportation circle works, and that is uh, it can be active. In other words, it's usable, but it's not necessarily being activated at that moment. It's basically like saying you have a door from one room to another because there's a door there, it's a passageway, and if you choose to go through it, you can go to that other location. 
uh, if that if the teleportation circle is destroyed, it basically makes it so that there's no longer a door to that location. As far yeah. as you know, most of the time teleportation circles are not used as indicators of whether there's an activity or something. On the other hand, if someone tries to use it to come to this location and it doesn't work, they will know that something has happened to it. But it's not doesn't work like a like a signal alarm or something like that. Right. All right. So yeah, so he'll he'll just tell the group, yo, actually he's right. If we if we scratch this out, if we destroy it, that'll that would stop wherever this wherever this leads to. Anyone on the other side couldn't come through, couldn't get through to here unless they have another means of teleporting. But if they did, they wouldn't need this. So I think we're probably if we want to rub it out, I think we're safe to do so. It also. Uh, you know, Imarin is is making another point also about the connectedness of the portals. If you destroy this one, you can never use it. But we don't know how to use it. Correct. I point can't time. use it, so... <laughs> I don't... At this point, I think I would rather have something on this island chasing us rather than a powerful spellcaster that knows how to use a transportation circle. So yeah. I say scratch it out. So I, I'm busy heaving against that. The brazier going, come on, Taurus, yep. put your I'm back into it. Yeah, no, I'll help I'm, destroy yeah. the circle. Okay. okay yeah, if you, okay. Two want to, if you two want to do that, we'll move the braziers. Okay. Sure. Uh, so if uh, the two of you, are you going to uh, be precise about your destruction of it and try to make sure that it's, that you're 100% sure, or are you just going to kind of scrape? It's glowing, right? It, 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 so it, it does have, have a do, hue, yeah. All we have to do is destroy it enough so that the glow disappears. Mm-hmm. Sure, we'll go with that. I You mentioned <laughs> that the, the floor was like muddy. Yes, it's muddy. So there's like a bit of, there's there's some component of water in this on this ground. Yes. Remember the the hallway that you came down was also, you know, the steps were very muddy and the, the walls were mm-hmm. very muddy. It's kind of dug out of the ground. I kind of, I'm wondering if I can use shape water to freeze the water in it and use that to like break the ground by like freezing and unfreezing it because of the expanding properties of ice. Yeah, yeah you can do that. Sure. And then I can use a very basic thaumaturgy and kind of create a little uh, rumble under the ground to shake it loose a little. I don't know if that helps. So I can freeze it and then you can make it shake? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. If that's what you want to do, that will definitely destroy it. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. Uh, So then that doesn't take very long at all. Um, I was going to figure out how long it was going to take you to destroy it but since you're <laughs> using magic that's that's like nothing uh okay yeah it easily uh, is disru- disrupted by freezing the water uh and then causing a little tiny bit of earth shaking <laughs> yeah i can um, freeze up to five feet uh yeah. a five foot cube in six seconds so yeah, yeah pretty quick okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> Wow, that's pretty disruptive. Yeah, um, so that's no problem. By the time you get done with that, right around that same time, uh, you see uh, Konos trying to pick up the second brazier. You would see Axley also doing it, but he's invisible, so you don't see him doing it. But I'm going to go you... over and help. 
accidentally run into Axley in the process. <laughs> ah, my foot. Sorry, can't see you. Okay, uh, so you place the the second brazier, and as you place it exactly on the spot that the impression was left, uh, you hear a click. Okay, let's try to open the door. Yeah. Push the door. Push the push the the wall. Push against it and see if it moves back. Okay. Okay. Uh, so you push the door and it opens into a uh, soft clay stone stairway. The stairs look like they descend about sixty feet down into the darkness of a cavern passageway. The steps appear to be muddy and soft. So do you think this is leading to what was normally their incubation chamber, or is this something new? That's my guess. I would imagine. It's got to be. I mean, we haven't seen any other sign of of that around here, so. Okay. Do you want me to go investigate with the bottom? Sure. If you're still invisible, you might as well just try to be as quiet as you can. Okay. I'll send my dancing lights with you so you have some light. All right. Um, okay. So uh, the steps are are actually muddy and soft. They feel like they're not they're not really as much stone as they are muddy clay. Mm-hmm. Um, the air is moist. It smells of minerals and moldy water. The passageway itself is carved out of mud from the ground it's not smooth at all and the walls are uh, you know they have seeping water coming out of them and in a few areas there are um tiny crystalline phosphorescent creatures like little beetles that seem to be crawling very slowly through the mud walls and as they get closer to the surface of the wall you can see that the uh their abdomens are glowing a little bit um, that's the only light in here other than Marcel's dancing light. The width of the passage is very inconsistent. It goes uh, it goes on for at least 80 feet, and in some places it's 10 feet wide, and in other places it goes down to about 2 feet wide. And in a couple of places, uh, it looks like you're going to have to turn sideways to sort of inch your way down. Okay. After you get about 60 feet through this narrow, uncomfortable, dripping passageway, you find yourself face-to-face with a very thin waterfall. And it appears that there's water from somewhere above pouring down, and it's creating this sort of shimmering archway. Beyond this passageway that you're in, when you look sort of through the water, you can see a sculpted claystone hallway beyond that waterfall area. Okay, I'll I'll push my face through the waterfall. How far, how far down is the waterfall? Like how far away from the door? It the waterfall is blocking uh, away from the door where you're at. It's uh, eighty feet, and it's a it's a twisting passageway. So you he is gone. You don't see him anymore. Mm -hmm. He's gone. Okay, I'm just thinking of the the dancing light. Yeah. If if those. What's their... Uh... It doesn't say anything. It, it's 120 feet. Um, okay. It doesn't say anything about me having to see it. So mm-hmm. I can't really see Axley anyways. 
So right. I'm just basically moving them slowly down the mm-hmm. corridor as far as I can. I don't clearly don't see the waterfall. So the lights probably just pass right through the waterfall until it hits 120. I can't move them anymore. Yeah. Yeah, probably most likely, yes. So, um yeah, so none of you can see him, but you do now that he's beyond that that area and the light went with him, you all can see if you're looking down the hallway, you can see the sort of glowing crystalline insect abdomen stuff moving in the walls. It makes the walls look like they're crawling. So, actually, you put your face through the through the um the waterfall and you see a 10-foot wide hallway and it it uh, turns uh to your left so you okay. haven't gone you haven't gone through the waterfall so all you see is that the passageway turns to your left is there still light for me to see beyond the waterfall yeah it's the the dancing light is there next to your okay, head um, then i'll continue to move forward well as long as i can use the light to see what's beyond okay um so Let's see, it's been 80. Um, so you you can go 40 more feet in. So okay. uh, the, the first, um, for the first uh, 40 feet, it's a 10-foot wide passageway, basically. Uh, it sort of narrows down, and then it shifts to your left, and there's 20 more feet of 10 foot wide passageway. And then that's basically the extent of where that light will go. And it's shining into an area where the hallway widens out and you see a set of double doors about, uh, 40 feet down the hall. Um, Marcel, those dancing lights, how, how long, how far do they shed light in? Is it a 20 foot radius? It's 10 foot radius. Dim light and ten foot radius. Uh, dim light and ten foot. Okay, so so uh, so I take that back. You can't actually see the doors, but you do see that the hallway widens out. Okay. You can make it to the end of the ten foot part, and you see that it widens out, and that the walls beyond that are even more um, sort of constructed. Mm-hmm. And you see that there are there's something etched into the walls, but the where, from where you're at. You can't see what it is because the light okay. the light doesn't shine that far. Okay, then I'll go back and get the rest of the party and tell them what I saw. You know, it would it'd be nice if we could do that trick where we can I can think to you and communicate back and forth. If you had said so earlier, I could have just sent you <laughs> <any> messages. <laughs> <laughs> What's the range on that though? 120 feet. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> same as the dancing lights. Yeah. So you would have you would have ended. <laughs> I'll have to remember that next time for sure. <laughs> but yeah, so there's further to go once we passed that waterfall, but the lights didn't shed enough light to see what was beyond. But it looks like the passage is opening up. Listening Shall back we... behind us, do I hear anything? You that can be of concern. roll a perception check. Can I roll something higher than that? <laughs> no, I've rolled a natural one. <laughs> Uh, you don't hear anything. You hear seeping, dripping water. Well, I said continue. Yeah, let's go down. I guess. Okay. Yeah, and actually, saying down is actually a, a a good description because you notice as you're walking, there it is a 
at a decline. It's only a three or four percent or maybe degrees decline. You only really notice it when you get right down to the end. It seems like, whoa, actually, we we went very far, a lot farther down than we thought maybe that we were going to. I imagine the, the when we were waiting up top and watching the lights uh, descend, mm-hmm. it would have been you noticed it, yeah, noticeable yeah. at that mm-hmm. point too. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So we go through the waterfall, I guess. Okay. Um. So you go through the waterfall and you go another, uh, you know, twenty feet, and then the hall turns to your left, and then there's another twenty or thirty feet where it's ten feet wide. And then the room opens out, and it's 20 feet wide and about 40 feet long. And the walls have been smoothed over. They're, they're made of that claystone, muddy stuff that the rest of the temple is made of. But they've been smoothed over, and they have words and images carved all over them. And at the end of the hallway, you see a set of double doors, also made of that claystone stuff that the Hakka prefer. And the, the, the words covering the walls are recognizable to you. They are those same words that uh, you recognize. This is the one true path, the one true way. Amethyst is the master, Shemasa Hasit, Stone Road, Long Walk, all that with all the numbers, right? But uh, at the top it says, Shemasa, show us your bounty, which is something you've seen before, but isn't part of that a description with all the words. It never says, Shemasa, show us your bounty in there. And at the bottom the bottom of the entire inscription. And this inscription is is all over the walls. At the bottom of it, it says something else. It says, and it's it's kind of carved in a different, you could tell it's carved by a different hand. And it says, bring forth your watery souls and I will let you live again. Join me and I will give you power beyond your dreams. Shamasa has foretold it and it will be so. Lack. Okay. Great. Awesome. I think that answers the question as to whether that was the past or the present that we saw of the image. Yeah. Does anyone else find it weird that these Hakka have this? And I point at the like riddle text on the walls in their temple. I don't think they wrote it. So you can you can make a perception check. <laughs> I, I think. Unfortunately for the Hawkeye, they just chose a site for their their breeding chamber that happened to have other power and other uses that was in need of by someone else. Some other. You think the Hawkeye took this temple to the for their use from something older? I think that could very well be. I mean, how how old does this writing look? Does all these carvings look? You can roll a perception check. Can I join? Can you roll one too? Sure. 16. Okay, there we go. That's a 17. <laughs> uh, I wanted one good roll to Yeah. Me. This writing is fresh. Mm-hmm. I think it's more likely that the Hakka built this for their own purposes and then something else someone, someone else came, moved in and took it over and repurposed it. Well, I think regardless, we need to find out what's on the other side of that door. The Hakka said they haven't been able to reproduce in two cent two couple of decades generations. Generations, yeah. How much is that? 
are we talking decades or are we talking like how long do Hakka live? Um, I wonder if any of you know that they reach adulthood at 15 and they live up to 200 years. But maybe they can't have children for a full 200 years. Maybe there's like a prime breeding period. Well, they, um, when they told you about their reproductive issues, they made it seem like it was only after the sinking. That was my question. Was it like, was this sinking the time that they lost control of this place or was it after the sinking? There, well, so losing control of this place is different from them having reproductive issues, right? So mm-hmm. you 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 might be conflating it, and Marcel might be compla- conflating it, but that's yeah. not necessarily a known quantity right True. now. All you know is they've told you they haven't been able to reproduce in two generations. Not that they haven't tried, but they haven't had any viable offspring. Right. Uh, and, and they're and afraid the that something... Yeah, because also remember, our Hakka guide was shocked to lay eyes on the temple mm-hmm. and see that... Yeah. And he said he'd come here like... Couple weeks ago, yeah, yeah, things were all the changes were in the last couple months or something like that. Yeah, but they, you know, he said that there was something. Then it was getting worse, and they realized at some point that they thought it was something in the temple that was making them their incubation chambers weren't they weren't wasn't working, and then like things started getting worse. But you know they they have a hard time expressing what they really right. So the their confusion is kind of purposeful, right? Because you really don't know. It's really hard to tell. Like, but even even when Axley casts a comprehend language, all he gets is the literal translation of what they say, right? No. So. so there's a problem with long lived races and passage of time as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, it was just a while ago. Oh, yeah, yeah. A while ago. yeah, and like, you know, like it was yeah. yesterday. right. And some of them were alive before the sinking, right? Because the sinking is only yeah. fifty years old, so they know something happened. But you know, how many of them, you know, had you know? So yeah, there are questions that you just don't know the answer to. Yeah. Okay. Well, mud creatures have been coming forth from this place and were descending down into muddier and muddier depths. So. I think we're yeah. getting close to maybe finding the source of what has corrupted all this mud and mm-hmm. animated it. My my theory is that whatever, well, maybe this guy who took over this place has been like turned their incubation area into a either undead army creator or just mud person creator instead. Maybe a little both. Um, I'm writing down both phrases at the top and the bottom in my journal. And then this door in front of us, can I push it open slowly and quietly? Uh, it is locked. <laughs> hey, it just so happens I might have something that aid us here. Have it. Uh, I've got the chime of opening. Or what, is that what it's called? That's right, yeah. Oh, cool. Ding, the door open. <laughs> so you're going to use that? Sure. Oh. Oh. Huh. Oh. <laughs> I'm looking at the the writing on the walls. The amethyst is the master. That corresponds with the thing I saw in the, the book. Yeah. book. 
Well, we saw that posing as Laralac has an amethyst on his yeah. Um, oh my god, this is bothering me so much. <laughs> uh, okay, so you, um, how are you using the chime, the chime of opening? Uh, I, I guess I just pointed at the lock and like I don't know what you do with the chime, like sh- ring it or shake it. What, is, what kind of chime is it? Like? You have to. St- it's like a tuning fork. Tuning fork. You have okay. to strike it against something. Okay, then I'll strike it against the lock. <laughs> okay. Uh, you hear a clear tone ring out. It's much louder than you thought. That's and, <laughs> and But at the same time, you hear three different clicks and shifting of different items. Three. Yeah, three. Okay. would have been fun to pick. <laughs> okay, I'll secure the, the chime. Okay. It's open, I believe. And I push it open quietly <laughs> and slowly. Um, do you want to give me a stealth check? If you want oh, to do this it, is you, not my thing. you want thing. to do it quietly. <laughs> yeah. Not my thing. I got a two, so a one. <laughs> oh, okay. You push it open as quietly as you can. And here's what you see. This is a large rectangular room. It's about roughly 60 by 90 feet. You're entering through the middle of the western wall. So there's, you know, 30 feet, 30 or 40 feet to your left, 30 or 40 feet to your right. There are four large braziers, 10 feet from each corner of the room. They are glowing with blue flames, providing bright light to the entire room. They also provide heat, and the heat that comes out of this room is hotter than any place that you've probably ever been. The flickering light of the braziers causes shadows to form behind and around four thick pillars more towards the middle of the room. And those pillars are carved with the likenesses of multiple types of creatures, crabs, octopus, turtles, seahorses, squids, whales, sharks, sea anemones, sea elves, eels, fish, lutrinians, lobsters, dragon turtles, and several creatures that you don't recognize. And when you look directly at them, you see that the face of each individual takes on a visage of pain, and you get the impression of a screaming And it's hard to look at, and it's also partially obscured because when you look at the the pillars, you see that there's mud running out of the mouths of all the faces on the pillars. There is a large blue coral altar sitting on four thick wooden stilts in the middle of the room. The stilts are protruding out of a large pool of steaming, bubbling mud. The north, south, and west walls of the chamber are carved with likenesses of multiple different types of creatures, different creatures than what's on the pillars. Dogs, horses, minotaur, humans, founder races, those are, you know, like beaver people and mole people, halflings, gnomes, bears, foxes, owlbears, lions, birds, lizards, dinosaurs. Those faces are also somewhat obscured because there is mud seeping from the eyes, mouths, and ears of the heads of each of these creatures. The mud from the pillars and the mud from the three walls that have carvings on them 
are falling to the floor and forming sludgy rivulets running down into a steaming pool of mud that's under the altar. On the eastern wall is an enormous circular area of intense blue magic. And it's giving off bright blue light and a lot of heat. And that wall is covered with writing. Laying on the large altar is a haka. And the haka is emaciated and starved and has the hands of a crab. The oh haka the haka is whimpering and moaning and struggling against the bindings that are holding it down on the altar. And at the head, at the head of the altar, there is a robed figure standing and enunciating the words of what sounds like a ritual dirge. And as they are enunciating the words, the writing on the walls on the eastern wall starts glowing. So every time it says the word, another a new word glows blue and the words follow a pattern that is very familiar to you mm-hmm. this is the true path the one true way 6174 through the brimstone etc also oh my God, me. what you see <laughs> you see four four big mounds of mud around the the altar where the the stakes are driven from the altar down into the into the pool of mud there's four big mounds of mud then there's the the priest who's saying things okay the robed figure who's saying things there is an enormous humanoid shaped creature made out of mud standing to the right of the big enormous blue circle and there is a blue-skinned goblin standing behind the robed figure, but not in the puddle of mud. So they are several feet behind the robed figure. And one last thing, coming out of the big blue circle of energy that is on the uh, eastern wall is a howling noise that is so disheartening and disconcerting that everyone here who hears it, and that is all of you now that the door is open, must make a wisdom saving throw with a 16 DC. Oh, I'm going to fail this. <laughs> I'm so mad. I'm not rolling a, uh, I rolled a two. I've not rolled higher than a 10 besides the one time. 14. 14. Oh, wait, wisdom save, I guess. Still save. No one made it. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Spe- I'm gonna use my luck. Okay. To do every roll. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I'm rolling. I really like you, Nina. Two two twos in a row. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just need another dice. I, I so for me today. so none of you succeeded on your save. Is that what I'm hearing? Sounds sounds like it. Uh, you are frightened of that blue energy emanating circular swirling heat emanating item on the wall. Okay. So we can't get any closer to it. Right. And it is apparent to you that the creature that is robed and saying those words, you can see that they are almost done. Probably 
two-thirds of the words ha- are lit. Okay, I'm going to cast a spell. Yeah, I think we're all getting ready to yeah, cast yeah, That's yeah. exactly what Yeah, I'm so, so, uh, so uh, everyone needs to roll initiative. <laughs> okay. Everyone's just, like, itching to kill this guy now. <laughs> 19. I finally rolled somewhat decent, a 14. Yeah, 15. I got a 6. Uh, what did Imran get? A 14. And Marcel got a 15? Yes. yes. And actually got six. a 6. Okay. So, Konos, Marcel, Imran. I have to roll initiative for these creatures. Give me two so seconds. I'm checking my die just to make sure there is indeed a 20 on it. <laughs> right? <laughs> Same here. Same here. So I think last time I cast Shield of Faith on Axley before he walked into like the first part of the chamber. Okay. Like last game. What's the I'm uh, assuming what's the duration? I was going to say, I'm assuming it's been longer than 10 minutes. Oh, it has, yes, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> has it been longer than an hour? Because I had cast Armor of Agathus on myself, like, right before we came in the temple. It's probably been more than an hour since you entered the temple, yes, unfortunately. Okay. Uh, on the other hand, there's the one uh, spot of uh, good news is I rolled a five for my initiative, mm-hmm. so... <laughs> um, so, Konos... Okay, I'm gonna swing for the fences. Um, am I within? Am I within 120 feet of the? Balloon yes. Natural? The I'm the, gonna cat- the room is yeah. only 60 by 90, so everybody is probably within 120 feet of everything else. Okay. Uh, this works. This could do something really great. I'm gonna cast dispel magic and target the uh, magical writing on the the glowing magic on the wall. And You're gonna cast dispel magic on the writing. So you said there's like a magical field mm-hmm. yep, on yep. that portion of the wall. Yeah, as yeah, as he's chanting the the words of the ritual, it's light. It lights up and stays lit as he's like it's like you could see that if you imagine there's the writing all all on the on the wall around the big blue portal thing, and as he's saying the words, they are starting to glow. You just and, have to say it's magical karaoke. Magical karaoke, yes. <laughs> And I'm going to try to pull the plug. <laughs> uh, Please. So dispel magic. Is that what you're doing? Okay. Uh, that, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. So if this is a spell of spell or magical effect of third level or lower, it's automatically off. Otherwise I have to roll for it. If it's something that can be dispelled. And that is the kicker. Um, this is where the DM has to figure out what level spell this is. <laughs> if yeah. it is a spell at all. <laughs> That has actually come up many times with Dispel Magic because a lot of magical effects never say... Yeah, it's kind of... If it wasn't created by a spell, like, how do you know what level it is to adjudicate what the DC is? This sounds like a a great topic for (laughs) for D&D Grease. Yeah. Or if you, or if it's like a creature with like it's it's not a spell but it's an innate magical ability that sort of resembles a spell, uh, but really isn't. It's like oh okay I'm. The, like I said, this is either going to work remarkably well, or I just wasted my last spell slot accomplishing nothing. <laughs> Fingers crossed. I it is a spell. I just have to make a decision um, about uh, which version of what they were casting. Um, 
So what are the um, what are the parameters of your spell? What do you have to do if it's third level or lower? Yeah, if it's a spell that's third level or lower, uh, the spell ends. If it's fourth level or higher, I have to roll a, uh, a charisma check with the DC is 10 plus the spell level. Okay. Uh, if I succeed, the spell ends. Otherwise, uh, it remains active. For the longest time, and because of how we were playing fourth edition first, and I don't know if we were doing it wrong there too, but we thought it was an arcana check instead of just a straight mm. ability check. Which made it a lot easier to dispel things. Um, since you're trying to dispel it, and in, in, in order to dispel it, you have to sort of get an idea of what it is. And because you have Bolum in your hand, I will tell you what spell it is. Okay. Also, it makes it possible that you might learn this spell. Okay. It's a gate spell. Oh, okay. That's, that was my hunch. And gate is a ninth level ninth spell. Ninth level spell, yeah. Okay. It, it's, it's, but wait, wait. Yep. Uh, Bolum gives you advantage. Okay. Okay. Highest roll, 20. <laughs> nice. I got a, four, I got a 14 okay. and a 15. I got a plus five on my charisma. Okay. Now I need you to roll me some percentage dice. Ooh, fun times. Ooh. Fun. Ooh. I got a 10 and a 0, so I guess that's a 10. A 10 and a 0. Ten? Yes. Yeah, it's a 10. Yeah. You yes. don't you don't add them. It's a 10. It's a 0. It's a zero, yes. zero, 0 and 0 is 100. Yeah. Right. Okay. I need you to make me a constitution saving throw. Oh no. <laughs> with a DC of 15. Okay. Does ball one give me advantage on this? No. I did not make 15. Okay, you pass out. You see <laughs> Konos falls to the ground unconscious. Crap. Oh, shit. Oh, no. Oh, man. But, no. but the blue circular light, the howling gets louder for a second. And then you see the the circle kind of grow, and then it goes, and it goes down into one single pinhole, and then it winks out of existence. And that's probably the point where I keel over. And the howling stops, and yeah, Konos passes, just falls down. (laughs) And now the robed figure turns to you. And throws the cloak off, throws the hood off of his cloak, and you see that it is a blue goblin. And <laughs> he points at the group of you standing there with the door halfway open, and he says, Usurpers, get them! And the four muddy piles grow into these medium sized sort of creatures with long faces and wings and they fly Mm -hmm. up now here's the thing you were afraid of the gate and the gate is gone so none of you are frightened anymore that's fantastic that makes sense (laughs) yes all right i did one good thing in this fight (laughs) (laughs) uh and that was konos's turn yes 
possibly my last turn. Uh, I think Konos might just have saved everybody's collective butts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> no yeah. kidding. MVP. Marcel, you now have four muddy creatures with wings flying. You have one large humanoid-shaped creature that was next to what was the gate, but now there's no gate there. And then you have the goblin who just took his hood off, and you know there was a goblin uh, behind him as well. So the humanoid figure was the one that was chanting. No, goblin that was at the... So the goblin that took his hood off was the one that was chanting. And who's the humanoid figure? He's just made of mud. Oh, okay. Okay, so goblin... mm. So you have two goblins, one that was chanting, one that was behind him a few feet. You have the haka laying on the altar. Mm -hmm. And then you have four flying mud creatures and a large humanoid-shaped mud creature that has not moved yet. And the words on the wall are no longer glowing. Right, okay. Uh, I'm going to assume that the one that was chanting, the goblin that was chanting is mm-hmm. the one controlling all of this. So I'm going to go after him. Okay. That was my plan to begin with, because I figured if I stop him from chanting, that'll stop the other thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to, oh, I can move forward. I'm going to move forward. This is going to be such a bad idea. I'm going to move forward like Fifteen feet, okay, towards the altar. Okay, so just so you know, that pool of mud is difficult terrain. You have no idea how deep it is, mm-hmm. and it's bubbling, so you think it's probably hot too. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll stay like five feet away from the okay. bubbling yep. mass. Okay, um, but that puts me in range to. I'm gonna twin spell witch bolts. Okay, and I'm gonna aim it at the two goblins. Okay. How close do they have to be together, or do they have to be close together? Uh, for the twinning, I think mm-hmm. it's just within the range of the spell, which okay. is 30 that's feet. that's fine. Okay. So I think it's separate attacks for each, okay. if it's a twin spell. So that's going to be, for the chanter, it'll be a 24. Oh, yeah, that hits. Was that a, nat, was that a nat 20? N- no. Okay. No, it wasn't. Darn. That was a 17. Okay. And a 17 for the second one. Okay. Uh, the second one, it also hits. So that's going to be, I'm casting it at second level. So okay. that's going to be uh, 2d12. Uh, that's 12 plus, so 18. No, wait, I'm thinking of the wrong spell. Sorry. Just 12. Okay. Just 12, okay. I was thinking of Chaos Bolt. (laughs) (laughs) So just 12 damage for both of them. Uh, That's lightning damage. Just 12 damage for both of them. Just. Just. Just just 12. Yeah, just 12. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Anything else? Uh, Nope. That's it. Imarin. Okay, so did Konos... Like, dropped zero hit points. You have no idea. All you know is he passed out. He just fell down. Okay. Um, okay. First off, I'm going to cast Spiritual Weapon. Okay. Um, I can cast it 60 feet away from me. Okay. Can I get near anything? One of the mud things? 
Yeah, so the room is only uh, oh, okay. 60 feet wide by 90 feet long. Gotcha. And the majority of things are actually within 50 feet because they all basically started by those pillars. Gotcha. Okay, I'm going to actually aim it at the uh, guy casting or the The chanter. Priest. Okay. Yeah, the chanter. Aim it right above his head. Okay. Does he make a save or do you make an attack? I make an attack. Okay. Um, that's a 22 to hit. That hits. Do we were keeping all the high rolls for the battle? <laughs> yeah, we got all the bad ones out of the way. Sure, that's <laughs> what we call it. Inse- <laughs> un- non-essential stuff. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, that's um, 11 damage. Okay. And then as a... That was my bonus action, so my action, I'm going to cast Cure Wounds on Konos because he just collapsed at my feet. Okay. And I guess you were solar eight hit points if that works. Konos, you wake up. <gasps> okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay. Way to You're, go, champ. <laughs> that that howling sound is in your head. You hear it. <laughs> oh boy. It's almost like a tinnitus. It's in your ears. You know it's not something that you're doing. It's just there. And uh, it is causing you to suffer what amount to the effects of a level of exhaustion. Also, you know how to cast gate. (laughs) Okay. Thank you, Todd Kenrick. Bolem wants you to cast gate. <laughs> right now? Bolem Bolem says we need to go get that. We need to go through that gate. Uh but it's still Emeron's turn. <laughs> um Actually I'm probably gonna stay kinda near Konos because I'm probably gonna give him a little more of a boost. Okay. Next time. Next time around. Actually, yeah, I'm just gonna stay put. <laughs> so am I, so I'm, sorry, so am I? Am I at, at just eight hit points then? Yes. Okay. I'm gonna yell out to Marcel. Now might be a good time for our watery friends to make an appearance. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I am going. So, so both those goblins are still on their feet. Yes. What do they look like? They're doing like what are they? What are they doing in response to being hit? Uh, the the one who called you all usurpers is still pointing and and saying, "Get them! Get them!" Okay, I I am going to yell the word "caught" and hurl my little cage at the goblin with the in the cloak. The okay, the one that's yelling. Okay. Yes. All right. Um, <laughs> So I believe I have to make a ranged attack roll. Yes. Go ahead and make your attack roll. With dexterity modifier. Okay. All right. Come on. Let's let's see that 20. I know it's on the side. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That would be a total of 11. However, if that doesn't hit, I could use my luck to reroll. Well, actually... As you throw that thing out, it opens up and forms into the shape of a cage. And 
as it gets closer to the creature, it opens and changes from the shape of a cage to exactly match the size and shape of the goblin. And then it hits the goblin. So the best way to explain this is, you know how like on old cartoons, they would have the person running and then they would run through the wall. And then what the hole in the wall would be like the shape of them, like stopped running. Right. That's kind of what it did. And then it completely covers the goblin and it turns a uh, rusty red color. So you see the goblin glowing around the goblin is a rusty red color. And apparently it is restrained. Okay. Now, is that an action or is that a bonus action? That is a regular action. Okay. Is there anything else you would like to do? Well, so that breaks my invisibility, correct? Because it's technically an attack. Uh, yes, that is true. You had to make okay. an attack roll, so that breaks your invisibility. Um, I want to get. I want to move away from the mud creatures. So they're... The creature that you just caged says, "You dirty human! I will get you." He's not a human. Yeah, but the <laughs> goblin is a ridiculous thing. <laughs> <laughs> I just make that comment <laughs> middle of the- not a human. I'm gonna, I'm gonna yell out. I'm right here. Come get me. What's <laughs> um, anything else? Are you gonna move? Yeah, I'm, I'm moving away from the mud creatures. Okay. So I really don't have a whole lot that I can do. So, what direction would you like to go? Are you gonna you're, are you going in the room, or are you gonna go back in the hallway? Because that door's still. I'll sort of go over open. by one of the uh, columns to kind of take cover. Okay. Uh, north, south, east, or west? <laughs> the, uh, I'll go to the south one, the okay. southwest one. Okay, southwest column. Okay. All right. And now it's the creature's turn. Uh, the one who called you usurpers is really mad. And he, he, he's, you could see him trying to struggle. Like he's trying to struggle out, and it looks he can't even move. He's just sort of held. So he's, he's trying to claw out of this thing, and he's just held, and he can't do anything. And he says, Grunt, Grunt, get that one. He, he froze me. Get that one. And he points over at Axley. And the, the other goblin, who is also a blue-skinned goblin, he moves his hands and he's making a, 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 a motion, a typical you know motion of like he's casting a spell and he's muttering under his breath. And then all of a sudden, really loud, he says, he says, Ice poker! And he points at Axley, and out of his fingertip comes a shard of ice. And I'm going to roll an attack roll. That is a a 12. What's your AC, Axley? AC is 15. Okay, he is going to uh, 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 not hit you. However, as the piece of ice goes by it explodes and you need to make a dexterity saving throw with a dc of 13 okay here we go oh that's a 19 roll okay so you see shards of ice explode out of this thing and go into the ground and they freeze a little area around the ground 
and the little goblin that that had pointed at you, he says, ah, that, that, this is not the way it's supposed to go. And then that's the goblin's turn. Uh, the other goblin who had had the cloak on, he is going to attempt to break free of your dastardly magical item. And in order to do that, I have to make a strength check. And I don't think I made it. It is, yeah, nope, he does not make it. Hmm. Okay. Uh, but he starts muttering under his breath as though he's going to do something next turn. And that's that creature. Meanwhile, the four flying mud creatures each move over and they end up attempting to... Basically, here's what they do. They fly up and they shrink down a little bit and then they open their mouths and they try to vomit boiling mud onto you. And when I say you, I mean Marcel, Imran, and Axley. Um, but not Konos, because Konos did not stand up. Uh, so, here is an attack versus Marcel. Uh, I rolled a one, so that's a miss. Here's an attack versus Imarin. Another one! Okay, let's put that die away. Two ones in a row, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of those examples of a battle not going the way I thought it was going to go. <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> oh and then an, from the beginning. and then I rolled a natural twenty. Uh, so Axley, <laughs> you are going to take. So, wait, so with my reaction, can I use my bardic ability, which is to what is it to give a disadvantage? I think that's what it is. Is it? Uh, it's cutting words or something like that. Um, Oh, the, oh no! It's a it's a D eight. That's I think it's a D eight subtracted from the the roll. It subtracts from the number rolled based on the the bardic inspiration die, which is a D eight. So you roll a D eight, and that's subtracted from the hit. From what he rolled. From what he rolled. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right, I'll try it. So what's your what's your um AC? Fifteen. Okay, so you're gonna want to roll a five or six. You want to roll a six because you want to make me get a fourteen. Okay. And I rolled a twenty. I rolled a five. Okay. So you actually, well, so that makes it a 15, but that actually hits you still. Oh, okay. Does that negate the natural 20 part? Yeah, probably. It may, it basically turns the roll from a 20 into a 15, so it still hits, but it takes away the crit part of it. You're going to take uh, uh, four damage. Okay. And you have little... Uh, mud spittle all over you now, which is very unpleasant. <laughs> and then the enormous mud creature gets up and moves over. And when it steps into the muddy pool in the center of the room, it sort of melds down and becomes one with the muddy pool. And you don't see it again. And that is the end of that round, which means it is Konos' turn. Okay. Um, so I've been, I've been familiar myself with the, the gate spell. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll just, you know, kind of leaning on the trident like a staff just to 
staggered back to my feet. Um, probably can't even hear anything else going on around me. So I'll just think to Bolum, what will happen if I cast this spell? We'll go chase the howler. <sighs> Okay. <laughs> I mean, that sounds cool. I don't know if I want to do it right. Okay. Um, oh, my let's go ears. chase the holler with eight hit points. <laughs> yeah. Let, let's let's put a pin in that. Um, and I am going to. So I will. Um, you don't want to go on the long road. We would take the long road, and we would go to the howler, and we could destroy it. This is our destiny. Great. We'll talk more about that in a minute. I'm going to Eldritch Blast um, the. I'm going to Eldritch Blast the goblin that's not in like uh, Axley's shackle prison. Okay. So. Yeah. Oh, I need to have a conversation with lots of things. <laughs> so, two shots now, and I'm at level five with Eldritch Blasts. Uh, an 11 and a 16. Uh, 11 misses, 16 hits. Okay. Uh, 15 points of force damage to the one that hits. Ouch. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, it falls back on its ass. It just it gets hit and it just goes poof and it falls back, down. Yeah. yeah. Does, it knock, does that uh, knock just, him into the mud? <laughs> Uh, no, because he's behind. He was behind the mud, so it actually pushes him farther away from everything. Um, and anything else? Are you? Uh, did you stand up? I did stand up. Okay. Yeah. Um, All right. So I'll just kind of move. I guess behind, a little bit behind Emron. Okay. Uh, Marcel. The current situation is the goblin that was chanting the ritual to open the gate or whatever is now restrained by Axley's magical trap. Konos is standing behind Imran, who is basically next to you. Axley is back by one of the pillars and the goblin, the other goblin helper has fallen on his butt near the Southern wall. Meanwhile, there is a flying mud creature in front of you in front of Imran and near Axley. Is it just me, or did the second goblin that got thrown back get thrown back thirty feet more than thirty feet away from me? Oh shit! Sorry. Um, I keep forgetting that with Witchbolt. Yeah, he's more than thirty feet away from you. Uh, well, let's okay. see if we ten twenty. Yes, he is. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, that tether breaks then. <laughs> Unfortunate, because that would have been a free D twelve for him. Um, yeah. But the other one is still connected to the one that's prisoner, so I'm okay. just gonna, I'm just gonna jolt him again. Okay. Um, that's gonna be five lightning. Okay. To that guy. Hey, let's keep him alive. <laughs> what? Why? <laughs> Why would I do that? Uh, um, what else, Marcel? I think for now that's it. Okay. Uh, Imran, there is a flying mud thing in front of you, and Konos is standing and behind you. There is a flying mud thing in front of Axley and one near Marcel as well. There are two goblins. Uh, my spiritual weapon's over the one that's restrained. That's correct. I'm gonna smack him. 
Okay. <laughs> um, that's, um, 17. Okay. Damage or to hit? To hit. Oh, uh, that hits. How much damage? Um, 10 damage. Okay. And then I'm going to reach back behind me and touch uh, Konos on the shoulder and cast Cure Wounds at our level. Okay. Thank you. So that's okay. <laughs> Math. 19 plus 3 is 22. 22 points of damage. Or points of... <laughs> no, no, no. 22 points yeah. of damage. <laughs> yeah, I promise. Thank you. <laughs> Actually. Uh, I'm gonna, uh, the next person that hits the, the, the captured uh, goblin gets a really bad tasting meal next time on the ship. We need him alive. <laughs> <laughs> Is that like a negative bardic inspiration? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Concentrate on the mud that's, and the that's, creatures. We're going to call that bardic disincentive. That's right. Ooh, nice. <laughs> I can't do anything about the mud creatures. Take out the mud creatures. <laughs> um, I am going to uh, cast suggestion on the other goblin. Okay. And suggestion is going to be, you need to write in the mud a thousand times. I will not be an evil, evil blue magic user. <laughs> I'll keep him busy for eight hours. <laughs> uh, what's uh, isn't there a save for that? Wisdom save, I believe okay. it is. Yeah. Okay, what's your spell save DC? Fifteen. Okay, this thing has a wisdom. No bonus to the save. All right. Uh, Twelve. So. Uh, it seems to listen to what you say. Uh, I mean, uh, right at this moment, uh, it sort of looks around and it, it looks like it's looking on the ground. And then it sort of starts looking around and it pulls a big quill out of its pocket. And it says, ah, this is just the thing. <laughs> and are you doing anything else for your turn? Um <laughs> no, just try to get out of the way of the mud creature. <laughs> okay, so you're you're gonna move then? Yes. Where to? I am going to try to put that pillar between me and the mud creature that that spat at me. Okay. Okay, so you you run around the pillar. Okay. Um yeah. Alright. Uh well now it's the creature's turn. The um the one that you casted that you cast suggestion on, it takes its quill and it turns and it walks back to the southern wall and it starts riding into the mud in the southern wall. And what what did you tell it to write? I will not be an evil blue creature or something. Magic user. Yeah. <laughs> I will not be an evil blue magic user. That's what it starts writing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um the other goblin says, no, no, what are you doing? And it cusses out the other, the, the younger goblin now that is that is drawing on the wall. It cusses it out in goblin. And it turns, and it can't hardly move, but it can move its hands. And it, um, it looks at the group of you by the door, and it says, watery grasps of kelp and seed, I will trap you and it casts a spell and i need everyone to 
Make a dexterity saving throw. I thought it was restrained. I didn't think it could use its hands. It can it can use its hand. A restrained creature uh, speed becomes zero. It cannot benefit from any bonus to speed. Attack rolls against it have advantage, and attack rolls that it makes have disadvantage, and it has disadvantage on dexterity saving throws. 18. Okay. And uh, 16. Kind of a good roll for beyond dex. The DC is only 13, so... Oh, cool. Oh. Well, I got a natural 18. Actually, you're actually not in the the effect. Yeah, sorry. Alright. Um... So did everybody make it then? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Okay. Uh, So you take uh, six cold damage, and these sort of weird, watery projections come out. They almost look like snakes, but they're made of water. And they come out and they try to wrap around your legs. And they're trying to hold you. Since you made your save, you are not restrained but you did take the damage. If you do not move, you have a feeling you will take damage again. Uh, and then the mud creatures are going to attack. Uh, one is going to attack Marcel. It comes up and it tries to smack them across the face, and it totally misses. These things are pathetic. Uh, <laughs> the next one, oh, same thing. It's almost like they're mimicking each other and laughing. They're like, <laughs> You missed <laughs> And then one tries to smack at Imarin, and it also misses. And then one tries to smack at Konos and gets a 18. What's your AC, Konos? 16. Of course. And so it hits Konos. Uh, but it only does uh, four damage. But I need you to make me a DC 11 saving throw, dexterity saving throw. Okay, 22. Okay. Uh at the time that it hits you, it tries to also do that barf up mud thing as well, and it does not succeed on it. You actually move out of the way. Um, and then the wall behind Axley, because Axley went around the pillar to try to get away, to get farthest away from the mud creatures, the wall behind Axley starts taking on a form. And then you see the humanoid-shaped mud creature walk out of the wall and try to attack Axley. And so... Is that the one that had gone into the mud pool? Yep. Um, Axley... Oh, 27 versus AC. That's going to hit. Yeah, I rolled a 19. Um... (laughs) It basically pummels you with its fists, and it's going to do 13 damage. Okay. And then it's going to, because it hit, it's going to attack you again. Uh, and that's going to hit again. And you're going to take... Can I use my uh, cutting words on that one? Sure. Roll me a d8. Okay. I, rolled a, I rolled a 16, so I rolled a... Uh, 23, so you're going to have oh, to roll geez. like a 9. There's no way. So, okay, yeah. I, I can't even, on a d8, I can't roll that. Okay, so. yep. <laughs> uh, so you take another 11 damage. It's just sitting there wailing on you. It's just... It doesn't even really have a face. It's just kind of this faceless, muddy thing with fists punching on you. 
Uh, and that's the end of the creature's turns. Konos. Um, all right. So the one, the, the flying mud creature that attacked me, is, this, mm-hmm. is it within the melee range? Uh, yeah, it is. Okay. I am going to uh, just grab the trident with two hands and try to stab at it. Okay. And as I'm due, I'm going to cast Booming Blade. Okay. Uh, that is uh, 15, uh, 17 to hit. That's a hit. Okay. So it's, okay. So it's a D8 piercing and a D8 thunder. So six total. Okay. And then I'm going to move uh, out of the field of watery thingies that are flailing around. Okay. Before you, um, I'll, yep. be- before you do that, uh, when you hit this thing, you sort of go, <laughs> it explodes, but... Konos, Marcel, and Imran need to make a DC 11 dexterity save. It's a good thing you weren't restrained by those things. Yes, it was. Uh, 11. Two. Uh, hey, sorry, me too? It, yep, Marcel, Imran, and Konos. Okay. You're in the blast, um, the blast of the exploding mud creature. Dexterity saving throw, DC 11. Uh, 20. Okay. Something. So who failed? Imran? Imran, you are stuck to the ground. The, the mud flies on you, flies on your feet, sticks you to the ground. Uh, Konos, what else were you going to do? You were going to move? Uh, well, I was going to move towards actually. Uh, <laughs> is is Imran still within the uh, wavy field? Yep. Oh, I'm just causing problems for everyone tonight. <laughs> and I, First you and save I, their butts, then you put their butts in a sling. Major, yeah. <laughs> so I already used my action to attack. Can I just like try to just, you know, run toward her and just shove her out of the out of this area of of waviness uh that would be another full action okay then okay then (laughs) i will then i will move um out of it and move towards actually as as much speed as like all right you can make it to actually because you're not restrained in any way okay uh marcel you are also not restrained but if you you feel that if you don't move those tentacle things Mm -hmm. are going to do some damage um, where, where are the things that are the flying ones? They're kind of right in front of you, but they're not very, you know, agile. So there's one basically within five feet of you and there's one within five feet of Imarin. There was one near Konos, but he made it explode. Okay. Okay. Then this might work. I'm going to go up to Imarin. Mm-hmm. I'm going to grab her. Okay. And I'm going to thunderstep away. Okay. <laughs> How far does that take you? Um, 90 feet. Okay. So, so you can basically go anywhere. anywhere in the room. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to go down to the southwest corner. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. And anything that was in 10 feet of our starting point mm-hmm. uh, has to make a constitution saving throw. Okay. What happens if they fail it? They take 3d10 thunder damage. Okay. Um, that one rolled a 7, so that's a fail. That one rolled a 5, so they both of the uh, muddy flying things failed. So how much damage? Uh, let's see. That's going to be 13 thunder damage. Okay. Both of them explode, but since you're gone, they do not have any effect on you. So, yeah, I teleport with Emrin into the corner. 
And um, we are now in a completely different place and got rid of two of them. That's perfect. And I'm going to remember that I have a sword because, you know, it's, it's kind of new. Yeah. And um, I think we need some help. So I'm going to pull it out of its sheath throw it up in the air and say dance okay and uh, point at the big <laughs> yeah big, shing. Um, <laughs> shing. Point the mud thing the big mud thing okay and see if it can hit it and that's gonna be oof, 11 <laughs> nope no such luck it cuts into it and comes right back out but it doesn't look like it phased the thing at all, all right, um well, that's <laughs> Imarin. okay um just out of curiosity, how tall is the ceiling? It's 12 to 15 feet. It's very tall. Mm-hmm. And those pillars, they go all the way up. I... What are you trying to do? Call lightning? Um, I, uh, think you ha- I think there has to be a way for a cloud to, to form. form, right? Um. Um, storm cloud appears in the shape of a cylinder 10 feet tall with a 60 foot radius. If you're in a room that can't accommodate the cloud. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. I have plenty of other things I need to be doing. That was mostly out of of curiosity. (laughs) That was mostly out of, I want to do something really awesome. (laughs) I really, really want to do it at some point in time, but no. It's a great, it's a great spell for when you're outdoors as I Mm -hmm. keep finding out because I'm playing that attempt square in another campaign. I'm always running into that problem. Okay. Can I get within 30 feet of the two goblins and the big mud creature? Can I kind of move around towards Axley and get within 30 feet of all three of those? Yes, but there will be a pillar between you and the big mud creature. I think that's okay. Okay. Then yes, you can. As long as I can see all of them. Can I see all of them? Well, if the pillar is in between you and the big mud creature, you probably can't see it. Wasn't actually to the south of the pillar? Yeah, but the creature is... So if uh, if I... If... Actually, is to the south of this pillar, the creature... Oh, yeah, I guess the creature wouldn't be on the other side of it. Yeah, so, okay, yes. Okay, I'm going to cast Bane on the two goblins and the mud creature. Okay, and what does this they do? To, um, they have to make charisma saving throws. Okay. Um, if they fail, they have to subtract a d4 to the number roll from an attack or a saving throw. Okay, so here is the big mud creature. I rolled a 15. What kind of save is it? Um, it's a charisma saving throw. Charisma, okay. Yes. And what's the DC? CC's 14. Okay. It failed. Oh, okay. It has a negative charisma. Cool. <laughs> I like it. I'm down. Uh, and then the two goblins, the one that was chanting. Oh yeah. I rolled an 18 on the die. Um, and the other one, I rolled a one. So. Okay. Uh, the one that's writing on the wall probably isn't going to do anything anyway but he did fail so that's fine um and the the big mud creature failed so that's the one i was aiming for yeah anything else on your turn um spiritual weapon okay hits i'm gonna mm, i can only move it 20 feet so i don't think i could get it over the big mud guy probably not not in Um, one turn He's just going to keep smacking the goblin in the... Okay. Well, actually told me not to. Can you move it to the second goblin? I'm afraid if I... I don't know how that spell... The oh, suggest right. spell charged. works. Right. 
Yeah, never mind. So I don't really want to hit that one. I don't really know how that one works. But is there any other mud creatures within 20 feet that I could hit? No, there's only three living enemies right now. The big mud creature and the two goblins. Oh, okay. Mistake something. That's okay. I'm going to keep smacking the other goblin just for the heck of it. Okay. Uh, roll the attack roll. And it gets you get advantage. Oh. That is a 16. That hits. How much damage? 1d8 plus 3. 8. It, it kind of, it tries to like block, but it can't move very well. So it's, it's, uh, get away from me. Get away from me. Uh, Axley. I'm going to move and I'm going to scoop up a big old wad of mud as I do so. Okay. And I'm going to move to the goblin that's caged and I'm going to say, you kiss your beautiful blue mama with that mouth, and I'm going to stuff his mouth full of mud. Now, before you do that, it, do you have a way to disengage from that big mud creature? Oh, has it got me tangled? No, but it's it's within striking distance of you, so it will take an attack of opportunity if you move out of its threatened area. Unless and you have a, a way to... And it hits hard. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what if I cast invisibility? Would that allow me to move out? Of the way, disengage. It w- invisibility. Uh, in this case, hmm. I mean, technically speaking, invisibility is an action. So is disengage. Oh. Yeah. And you lose your concentration on suggestion. So if all you wanted to do was make sure it didn't hit you, you could just disengage and then run. But I'm not sure if then you can do the other thing. So if I disengage, it won't. How, how do I stop it getting an opportunity to attack? So no, uh, if you disengage, it can't. So dis- disengage is a special, basically a special move action that allows you uh, to move a little okay. bit away while you're kind of, you know, you're parrying and whatnot, so that it can't hit you. The thing is, then you can only move a, a small amount of s- space doing that. So to actually finish moving over to the goblin, you'd have to take basically your um, main action. Well, what if can I throw the mud in, at its mouth since it can't dodge? What's your goal, though? What, I mean, what's your, what's your get, goal of doing it? I mean, I'll let you throw mud at it, of, but... Get its mouth full of mud so it can't cast a spell. So that's going to take an action. Okay. And then I can, So I can't disengage, because that disengages with actions, what you're saying, if I do yeah. that. Yeah. So you're... Yeah, so that, that's why I was asking if you had some... Like, there, there are some classes that have a special ability that lets them disengage, basically, as a bonus, bonus action. action. But you don't have that, so. Okay. Yeah. Well, I I don't want to get hit, so. <laughs> I guess I'm just going to disengage then. Okay. And then you're going to move over to the goblin in the cage. Yeah. Okay. And you're going to pick up a big ball of mud so that you can try to shove it in its mouth it's on your next turn. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you can't do that part of it till your next turn, but everything else you can do on this turn. Okay. Um, okay, and then it's the creature's turn. So, uh, the big, beefy, muddy creature, now that its main target has walked away, is going to pick one of you that it can see. And it can either see Konos or Marcel or Imarin, so I'm going to roll a d6. One and two is Konos, three and four is Marcel, five and six is Imarin. Uh, one, it's going to attack Konos. <laughs> uh, 
Minus D4. Okay, so I rolled a 9 on the die, so that would be a 17 minus a D4. I think that misses anyway, right? We'll see. Depends what you roll. Yeah. Uh, I rolled a 1, so 16. 16 is my armor class. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So close. I'm trying. <laughs> uh, so you're going to take... Um, 14 damage, bludgeoning. Okay. And it gets another attack since it hit you with that one. Uh, Imarin, does that D4 minus on this attack as well? Okay. Yes, all attacks. Uh, that's an 11 on the die, so 17 minus 2. 15. Misses. Okay. Misses just. So it missed you with a second attack. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it hits itself in the face. And the oh, nice. the 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 fist kind of goes in, and it kind of pulls it out, and almost like it doesn't have eyes, but it kind of looks like it looks at it. And uh, the goblin that um, is riding on the walls looks over and sees how close Marcel is, and sort of moves away <laughs> down <laughs> to a different part of the wall to keep writing. And they're kind of humming to themselves. <laughs> and they're writing, you know, I will not be a blue-skinned evil, you know, whatever. Uh, I like to think it changes every time because they just get lost in thought and they just start writing random things. Yeah. <laughs> and then the goblin that it has actually standing in front of it uh, with a big ball of mud in his hand, is actually going to... Hmm, what is it going to do? It is going to... Oh. I guess I should also point out that Thunderstep is something that can be heard up to 300 feet away. <laughs> okay. And it probably yeah. sends big puddles of mud flying everywhere yeah, you cast it. Yeah, probably. Um... This this goblin in front of Axley is just going to try to punch him in the face. <laughs> but as as it moves, you know, it's not it's not like punching. It just sort of it almost reaches out like it's going to slap him across the face, like almost like a noble slap, right? Like I'm going to ha- fly in your direction. I slap you across the face. Except it doesn't say that because it's a goblin and it's much cruder than that. It says, get your filthy body away from me, you human! And it tries to smack you. And, oh. (laughs) I rolled a two. Uh, That is a seven. And so that misses, but you hear a really loud crack of thunder when when it tries to swing its hand and smack you uh and you get the feeling that that would have been much more dangerous than uh just a simple slap uh and then it is it is konos's turn okay um i am i am torn if between staying here and fighting this thing toe to toe and hoping that bane keeps missing me or disengaging to safety because i've only got six hit points you only have six yeah (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Good to know, says the healer. <laughs> yeah. Good to yeah. know. Um, I didn't. Okay. All right. I am. Okay, I'm going to be actually. Yeah. All right. I'm going to try again. Try something risky. I'm 
this is going to be a disadvantage because I'm casting at point black range. I'm going to try to Eldritch Blast it. Okay. And so hopefully I can knock it back for me. So okay. first attack, first attack disadvantage. Uh, so it is a 18 to hit. That hits. Okay. Oh, wait, I'm, wait, I'm looking at the wrong card. Uh, yes, that still hits. Okay. 10 points of force damage and it's knocked back 10 feet. Okay. Uh, I'm then going to move as far away, from, 30 feet away from it and cast the second one. Okay. Actually, when you knock it back, yeah. it knocks back and it goes into the wall and disappears. God dang it. I just call it, get away from the walls. <laughs> get, to, get to the middle of the room. Um, and I will do that. I'll move to the middle of the room. Okay. Marcel. Um, oh, go ahead. Since he's tied up, I'll guess I'll take the second shot at the uh, uh, the guy who's not writing on the walls. Okay. Yeah, you have advantage on that attack. Okay. 18 to hit. How much? 18 to hit for uh, 7 force damage okay. and push 10 feet. Okay. It pushes him 10 feet and he goes into a big puddle of mud. And he sinks under the surface of the boiling mud. Oh, God. And he goes, nah! That's brutal. Yeah. Marcel. I'm sorry, I probably ruined your witch bolt again. <laughs> uh, actually, I had let that witch bolt die when I tel- teleported, because I'm pretty sure I teleported more than 30 feet away. Um, but that's fine. Um, well, we're close to the walls right now, so I'm going to move towards the center of yeah. the room. Okay. Um, what wall did it disappear into? The uh, western wall. The western wall. And Konos, did you move towards the center? Uh, I did. Okay. All right. I will have my sword move towards the south wall. On the off chance that it appears through there. And either way, I am going to prepare a spell. I'm going to prepare the heck of that. Oh, when you why. move the sword over, the goblin that's riding on the wall goes, ah! And it drops its quill and it goes down. It puts its hand over its head and it's <laughs> kind of looking up through its hands to, at the sword. <laughs> it's just standing there. <laughs> Um, I'm going to prepare a frostbite okay. spell to cast it on the big guy mm-hmm. when he shows up. Okay. Imarin. Can I... I'm going to run over to Konos. Okay. Um, as I'm running, can I look over at the other puddles of mud that we exploded mm-hmm. and see if they're like congealing yeah. again? Or reforming or at all? They don't look like they... They look like they were, but they are not now. Oh, okay. Dodged a bullet. Um, I'm going to, yeah, run over to Konos. I'm going to cast Cure Wounds again at second level and say, I already did this once. How do you keep getting so banged up this fight? Uh, that's nine. Nine. I'll, I'll take it. Yeah. Answers because I've got a 16 armor class, which is like a 16, about a 16 in blackjack. They look good on paper, but they're horrible to play with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I'm going to move my spiritual weapon towards Marcel. Okay. 
and just kind of hold it there. See if anything pops out. Okay. Axley. I'm going to turn with my hands on my hips and yell, what part of don't hit the goblin in the cage do you not understand? <laughs> I'm going to throw the mud at Everett and Konos. Sorry. That cage was a reasonable, heavy, very valuable, magical artifact. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to fish that out now, aren't we? are going to have to fish that one out. God damn it. <laughs> I didn't need it. Make, make your deck roll. Go ahead. Make a deck roll. You're lucky I got I turned off. You're lucky our Rebecca is off. I rolled a five. Uh, so the, the, the one creature that is in the room uh, is just still cowering in the corner now because uh, Marcel's brilliantly bright sword is, is over there in that corner. Near, near that corner. Uh, and then it's Konos' turn again. Okay. Um, I'm just looking around. Like, so, you're, so, so mud is basically coming out of all the faces on the pillars and the, mm-hmm. and the walls at this point, right? Yeah. The speed at which the mud is, is coming out is uh, s- slowed to a, a small trickle now. It's, it's you know, some of the mud is starting to dry on the pillars and whatnot because it's no longer... Okay. Um, I'll just I'll just say if we could if there was some way we could wash all this mud off the off the walls and stuff, it might keep the thing from coming back. Uh, and I'll ready an action to cast Eldritch Blast if I see it reappear anywhere. Okay, Marcel. Only we had a watery wave. <laughs> I don't know if we can use that again on the same day. Honestly, I can try. Maybe that's charges. Um, Who knows. Not me. Um, <laughs> the pool in the water. The pool in the center is. It's a pool of water, right? Like it's, it has mud. It's but it's mud. Also- it's mud. It's mud. It's mud. Not water. Yeah. Okay. It's the consistency of very watery concrete. Right. But it's bubbling and steaming. Uh, and that's where we're going to end. Okay, so we have a few minutes to do a debrief. So I posted a list of topics. Let me read you the list of topics. Concentration, which affects many of you because you're spellcasters. So the idea of concentration, what breaks it, how do we remember when we have to use it and all that sort of thing. Uh, Prophecies in games, because that came up at the end of last game. Uh, Healing mechanics and short rest versus long rest. That came up in the last game. Uh, And then... Uh, something that I thought people might be wondering because I, I really took a shortcut and uh, and and didn't play it out, and that might have felt a little bit unsatisfying to some of the listeners and maybe even to you as players was the storm at sea. I didn't role play it. I just rolled and said, "Okay, here's what happened." Um, I didn't really give you much of an option to uh, mediate or ameliorate any of the effects of that. Um, and so that can, that we could talk about. And then, uh, what does the DM do when taken off guard, which is a little hint as to why I didn't role play that storm. Um, <laughs> uh, and then, uh, changing monster mechanics to make them more interesting and, uh, revisiting the idea of theater, of the mind and how you, how you keep adjudicating such a thing and how it, how you make it, uh, so that, people don't lose their ability to to still have the same sort of idea about what's going on in the game. So, 
Uh, those are the, the topics there. What do you think? I think they're all interesting. I almost feel like we should just roll a D8 and see which one shows up. Sure. Let's do it. Uh, six. Okay, six. So let me... Now i got to go back to that list. Changing monster mechanics. All right. Okay, well... Oh, that's an interesting one. So, uh, for example, here's why, here's why that one's on the list. Um, you know, last week there was a dinosaur that actually turned out to be a mud creature... And so uh, one of the, of course, there's reasons I did that in terms of the, the narrative and, and what's going on in the game, but also the, then the idea is, well, what do you do? You know, my, my sort of philosophy is if it's not interesting, if it doesn't make you wonder what the heck's going on, then it doesn't matter what creature's being used. And sometimes I want it to matter what creature's being used. So sometimes the creature needs to have interesting mechanics. And so that's why... That's that's where the sort of idea of those mud creatures being able to meld into one and grow larger, rather than when you hit them they break up and grow smaller. Uh, that's where that came from. And so uh, the other reason that I that I like this particular topic and that I think about this particular topic a lot is because of course I DM a lot, but. Um, you know, I I I have uh, I I have this other uh, group of players that I run for. Sometimes it's a couple of uh, young teenage uh, boys who are uh, kids of my of one of my colleagues, and they when they they told their mom they wanted to play D and D, and she knew I played D and D, and so she got me to uh, to run a game for them. And what happened is they loved the game so much, they went to the library and their library had the monster manual. So they checked the monster manual out of the library and they like started memorizing all these creature statistics. So they knew that one of the gnolls had 22 hit points and all, all these other things. And so uh, uh, it kind of helps that I don't just run creatures out of the book, or at least I might describe them a little bit differently so it's a little harder for them to understand what they're actually facing, because otherwise they've memorized these freaking things. <laughs> That's where you also start, ha you, have, you have to start like actually rolling monster hit dice. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. So that was, yeah, it was, it was quite funny when it happened, but it, it was, it was not funny at the same time. So, uh, but, uh, but that's, yeah, they, cause that I, I heard them talking to each other. I, I took a, a bio break and then I heard them talking and they said, Oh no, but that one's only going to have 22 hit points and this, that, and the other. And I said, wait a minute, how do you know this? <laughs> so I, <think. laughs> I mean, and so. even, even if someone doesn't just like, as a player go through the monster manual, if you're a if you've been a DM, there's chances that you've used mm -hmm. certain monsters, and now right. that you're a player, you're like, well, my DM side is telling me this one's more important to go down first because it's got this thing, or mm -hmm. I don't know, things like that, or just it happens eventually that as a player, you run into enough of a certain creature that you know that goblins have like seven hit points. Mm-hmm. Right. Because the goblins show up in so many games and people don't generally change their HP that, yeah, okay, so we know exactly how much these have. So, okay, well, now you're going to go against different goblins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. This goblin took the, 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 the tough feet or something else. It, it's, got, it's got a hand crossbow instead of a sling. Right, right. <laughs> 
that we're talking about monsters and monster stats and and the creation of different characteristics to make to maybe throw off players not to not to trick right like i because uh, then of course when i changed something about it about one of the creatures then one of one of those players accused me oh you tricked us no no i didn't trick you i'm trying to make it challenging exactly. <laughs> if you if you walk up to a creature and you know that goblin only has seven hit points and you know that it can only do a 1d4 because of whatever weapon it's holding then that's that yeah. that makes the challenge something different from from maybe what was intended although i don't yeah, know I, I suppose you could play that way and that would be just as fun if that was what your intent was well, a great example of that is last session with the dinosaur that was kind of made of mud because that took us all by surprise. We didn't really know what we were dealing with. So mm-hmm. you start to then have to do some creative thinking as to how do I deal with this thing? Because it's not just this flesh and blood reptile that I can then, because once you once you can fit it in a neat category, because we all have experience with the various monster mm-hmm. tropes of fantasy world. So you can, you, you'll just naturally approach it from that angle. Like, oh, mm-hmm. I can just, I can use these kind of spells, this kind of weapon. It's nice to right. have, be surprised and not know what you're dealing with. Yeah. I feel like another reason to change up monster stats is when you want to use a monster that may be a bit too weak in terms of its normal stats, mm-hmm. but you want to use that kind of monster against a, a higher level team and still mm-hmm. keep it cat. Um, <laughs> challenging. Um, it comes to like, well, maybe I need to buff this creature up so that I can still use it. And that's basically another reason for it. Like, I've, I've had that happen to me because my party in Dungeon of the Mad Mage has been going, like, up and down levels. So sometimes uh. they'll fight something on a higher level, on, on a lower level, when they've already gone up a couple mm-hmm. of levels. So the they end up fighting, say, it happened to me with a boss monster on... I think it was level four and they had already gone down to level six. So I had had to kind of level them up a bit so they don't die. Uh, so I ended up having to boost things for that fight so that it felt epic. And I managed it with very little changes. Um, and nice. that boss ended up being a recurring boss. They still haven't, they still haven't managed to kill her. They fought her twice already. So well, how did you wind up adjusting it? Did you like, just change hit points and damage up and down or take away abilities or add stuff? Or what did you wind up doing? In this case, I maxed her HP. Um, so I didn't give her more HP. I just maxed the dice, um, which practically doubles her HP. Um, and eventually ended up giving her a couple more spells because she was a spellcaster. Kind of sort of giving her a subclass because she was a cleric. So I gave her a subclass to give her some more powers. Um, and that was enough. That And I added a couple more enemies to the fight itself mm-hmm. so that they could not like concentrate because the economy of action um, yep. went mm-hmm. into the favor of the monsters instead of the players. Right. And that helped make the battle... It took us like an hour to get through that battle. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's difficult to do that. In fact... Um, well, maybe I won't say that because uh, <laughs> it'll affect what you do. Uh, but no, it's it's difficult um, because you know in in fifth edition, when there's not an even number of actions on both teams, for example, like if I say it that way, like there's a monster team and then there's the party that that's the other team. If there's not an equal number of actions, it can really sway the battle one way or the other. So just adding or removing a creature or two greatly changes. Uh, the economics of that battle 
much more so than in the past couple of, of different editions of the game. Um, it's very, very striking in 5th uh, edition because of the way that the numbers are so tightly held along a line. Um, but just just adding, even if a creature's easy to hit, there's a chance you're going to miss it. And then if he's alive, that, if that creature's alive for an, another round and they have a chance to hit you, that could completely sway the battle because it might make you have to choose a different action next time if you have to heal yourself or you have to disengage from combat or something. It completely might cause a sea change in the in the way that the battle works. Um, so that's hard. And conversely, if, you, if you're DMing and you have like one really powerful or one really epically cool monster like okay it can do it's going to do all these things to the players and then the first round of combat you know a poorly timed hold person spell goes mm-hmm. off and right suddenly your one big monster is just now a pinata for the part <laughs> right that kicked it yes yeah. right right it's like, yeah. like oh man i spent two hours planning this great encounter and they ruined mm-hmm. it in five seconds well now yeah. well that's why yeah. it, that's why minions exist Right. Which, which that's also why legendary to... reaction. That's why legendary resistances mm-hmm. exist too. Yeah. yeah. That too. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. Which that, that actually brings up another debrief point you were you mentioned discussing, which is like when you as a GM are caught off guard. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you deal with that? Because you have an idea of like the story that you want. You want yeah. to the road you want to go down, mm-hmm. right? You've done all the prep work for it. It's it's maybe the design for your scenario. How do yeah. you keep it undermined by the players? So. Um, if it's about so with regards to monsters, um, usually when I have uh, a combat planned, or if I have if I have sort of accounted for um, the party going in a particular direction, and therefore possibly have a chance to interact with something, have some sort of encounter, even if it's not combat, the reason that I have that is because there's some knowledge to be gotten from that encounter. Um, even if it doesn't turn into a fight or, or whatever, it's not just gold or loot or whatever. It's it's often information that you can get. Uh, and so, for me personally, um, I try to always have a reason for that encounter to exist. But some of them aren't. They're uh, how do I say this? They're not necessary. You know, like I put information in multiple different places that way. It doesn't matter if you decide not to go in a certain direction. You'll still have a way to get that information that you would have found in that direction, uh, but just somewhere else, right? That, but it has to make sense, right? It's not like, oh, well, you're walking along the beach and you find a, a bottle with a message in it. Oh, this message happens to have to do with everything that you've been dealing with so far. Like that doesn't really make sense. But um, I try to I try to build in cases where you can always find information. So I have a uh, a list of information that at any given time you could find and that might give you clues to something or might help you with something. Um, and that way, if you do something completely unexpected, like I had, I had no clue. I did not plan ahead of time. I can actually respond and throw something at you that might be challenging. And that also will have a reward that's worth it because I have this sort of list of, well, here's some things that you need to find out. And I don't yet know exactly how you're going to find them out. But if you end up going somewhere or doing something that I wasn't expecting, I can just give you one of these pieces of information. Um, Sly Flourish, Mike Shea, um, the, he, he wrote the Lazy Dungeon Master books and he has a couple of different products out. He's a, he's a, a friend of mine. And he, one of, he calls those secrets and clues. And for every session that he preps, he always puts like, 
he has a list of 10 secrets about every location. And you're not going to learn at all 10 secrets, or you might not learn all 10 secrets. And it's not necessary to learn all 10 secrets in order to accomplish your goals. But they're there so that off the cuff, you can you know, you can always throw something at the party that is going to be useful for them rather than just, oh, you walked over here. Let's have a, an encounter with a Tarrasque. Oh, what what for? Well, three of the PCs died, but it wasn't really useful because you didn't learn anything. Like, that's not fun necessarily. You know, that's that's sort of – I mean, I, I suppose it depends on the kind of game you're running. But generally, I don't run a game that works like that. But I do like having sort of wandering monsters and different encounters that might that might surprise you or something. So – um, it's sort of like it's akin to um, I always have a list of names, right? Because that way, if you if you go somewhere and you meet someone, and I wasn't expecting you to go somewhere, I can immediately come up with a name and a couple of traits for that NPC. That in case they end up being becoming a bigger part of the story than I thought or that I planned on, I have it right there, and I don't have to say, "Oh, hold on," or I don't have to rely on, "Well, every NPC is named Bob." So then you'll always know that every time you meet an NPC named Bob, it's because I wasn't planning on it. So, you know, you don't have to worry about that NPC, right? Like that's not I, – I don't like to have that happen. Although I did run a game one time where all the NPCs were named Bob on purpose. <laughs> so um, – so, gotten yeah. confusing really fast. I mean, well, it's Bob the Weaver, Bob the Wainwright, Bob the Shipwright, you know, Bob the Bob the Jeweler, Bob the yeah. It was it was not, so then they all, then they just started calling everybody by their profession. Oh, I have to go to the jeweler. Oh, I have to go to the general store. I have to go to the whatever. So yeah, it wasn't uh, it wasn't uh, it what it did what it was it was on purpose. It was a, a it was a, meant to be a more comedy game, but. Um, so the the reason why the um the what do you do when the DM is taken off guard? The other reason that was on the list is because of that the storm that you hit. I I wasn't expecting that. I was actually ready to have you go and make your way most of the way to Calport, and then I rolled and I rolled for the weather and I rolled for the storm and all that, and then and I we rolled, all failed our rolls. <laughs> well, I, I I rolled an encounter. And when I, I said somebody roll me a D20, and, and I think Karu rolled a, a D20 and rolled like a 19, and that that was a massive storm. And then you all failed your rolls. And so it was like, oh, crap, this is a catastrophic failure. But because I wasn't really expecting it, I really didn't have it in my brain to describe it and make it really like chaotic and narrative and showing the cinematic portions of it. I just kind of said, oh, well, you know, there was a giant storm and one of your, you know, 10% of your crew got washed over and that was it. Um, And after the game, that's one of the things that I thought about where I I felt like that was a little unsatisfactory from my perspective. I don't, I don't know how you felt about it, Um, but it was, it was a little unsatisfying to me because I, wa- I, I was so caught off guard by the fact that that happened and then everyone failed their roles. And I just was not ready to narrate a storm situation, <laughs> and which sounds stupid. I mean, I'm running a seafaring game. <laughs> so that's the other reason I felt like, oh, yeah, I put you on a boat and we're in the middle of the ocean in a sea world and I'm not ready to describe a storm at sea. That's really like, you know, it's, you know, this is, look, I've been DMing for, you know, since 1985. And I still, you know, it happens to everybody. I got, I got caught off guard and I wasn't ready for it. Um, I pulled out other things and that's why you ended up going to the Hawkeye Island and, and all that stuff. 
but the storm, the storm part of that really threw me off and, uh, you know, live and learn. Trust me, I am ready to always uh, narrate a storm at sea now. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> there was a similar thing that happened on, uh, there's an online campaign called High Rollers. Mm. Um, happened like an episode or two ago. It was a similar situation. You know, the one of the crew was, one of the players was cor- essentially cor- doing downtime carousing mm-hmm. with some of the, some of the other crewmates and roles happened and mm-hmm. the absolute, you know, something similar, something happened that the DM wasn't ready, f- prepared for. Essentially, right. you, you rolled that the the player wound up getting inadvertently getting married and realized <laughs> what had happened. So it it, to- it, it totally went um, that one Vegas movie, uh, like with the uh, with Bradley Cooper and whatnot. Yeah, when I wake up, uh, yeah. Hangover. yeah, yeah, the hangover. Yeah, it, so it basically, it basically went ha- went all the hangover for about ten minutes while he, while they kind of got back on track. <laughs> nice, nice, yeah. It's, uh, you know, I, I have all these little sort of tips and tricks that I try to use. Like I mentioned, you know, a, a list of names and a, and a list of things that you could learn and a, a list of, you know, I have a list of islands. I have a list of people. I have, a, you know, I have all these sort of little things where if you completely go off in a different direction, I can actually address your desires to go in that direction without having to block you. Um, but, you know, still some things happen sometimes that are just, you know. There's no possible way to uh, predict everything, especially with dice. I mean, it's the dice that did it, yep. and I don't. I don't know. So I'm. I. I do not fudge the dice, um, even if I'm playing like in. And I, I'm not. I'm not. There's no judgment here. Like I know a lot of people do. I know some people who fudge dice, and you know they they do it because they have they have certain narrative drive and they want the game sure. to be cinematic and they don't want to kill people and you know the, I mean that there's all kinds of reasons. Uh, whether you think they're valid or not doesn't matter. That, that's not the conversation I want to have necessarily. Um, you can find that <laughs> it's it's controversial, so you can find it talked about ad nauseum over and over on all the different platforms. But for me personally, I don't fudge dice. So if I roll a die and it and it crits, it crits. Like if if I roll a die and it's a absolute, you know, a one. If it's a natural fail, I, it fails and. You know, that's just that's how it goes. That's how I play in face to face games. It's how I play online. And um, so, you know, because of that, it's entirely possible. I mean, there's a relatively high percentage chance that something will happen that I'm not prepared for at any given session. So so I guess the ultimate answer is, what do I do? Well, I just roll with the punches and go with it and not worry too much about it. So. Which that's a skill set into itself that, you know, it's across the board. Some people may have difficulty with that. And that's probably why there's individuals that aren't comfortable with just completely relying on the randomness of the dice. Because in doing so, you're going to face more of those situations where dynamically mm-hmm. you're going to have to adjust to something you weren't anticipating. Yeah. And, and, that involves, and that involves essentially as a DM being able to pay, potentially let go in, in that moment and say, okay, mm-hmm. well, this isn't what I had planned for, but okay, this is what this is where we're going. Let's, right. let's roll with it. Yeah. I mean, the, the other side of that too is I, I've been, because I've been DMing for a long time, I feel like the onus is on me when I'm, when I'm sort of planning an encounter. I, I should have a good idea of how difficult it's going to be. But I'm not always right. And um, so sometimes I have to sort of, you know, figure out what to do in the moment without fudging roles to, to make it so that I don't accidentally kill everybody or I or I at least leave some doors open for, for people to be able to rescue that particular situation and I don't end up with a TPK. 
Um, or conversely, you know, sometimes a, a, a combat ends up being a lot weaker than you thought or that I thought it was going to be. And then you just, you know, as the, you just have to say, okay, well, <laughs> you guys really stomped that one. That's just how it goes. Um, you know, so that's that. Uh, Nina. Yes. You haven't said anything. Talk to us. <laughs> you're, you're a new DM. Tell us what you're thinking. I know. I've actually been laughing because this is a lot of what I've been learning. Um, as I keep <laughs> going and misstepping, I cannot get a read on my players and they just kind of wander off somewhere. So I've stopped. Um, I really like broaden what I'm doing, just like making lists, like NPC names and shop names. And at one point, um, I entirely created like a mini temple just like off of traps that i Mm -hmm. had and i was just like okay you guys can go because it was like right after we had had a game and they're like we want another game and i was like i don't have anything for the next game and they said it was one of the funnest things that you did yeah but it is it just yeah you just kind of have to roll with the punches and that's something that's hard for me because i like having like i'm very much like emran in that way i like having a plan i like having this road set out and this is what we're going to do and this is where we're going to go and they're like no we're going to go over here (laughs) and yeah but they're all great players and they all you know they love the game and they are we just have fun with it good and like the monster creation is something i've struggled with the combat has been the hardest part of the entire thing i can do like the creation and i can do like the storytelling and the exploration and all that but Mm -hmm. the combat has been hard and I think it's just finding that balance between something that's too difficult and something that's not mm. difficult enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so moving stats around and just kind of tailoring things specific to the party, um, like knowing what their strengths are and what their weaknesses are mm-hmm. and kind of playing to that a little bit has helped. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't run a game in a while. We've all been pretty busy, but yeah, that's kind of what I've been thinking about. There's uh, there's a tool I use, there's a slide I use to when I'm setting up encounters just to try to see from the, like from a baseline perspective how balanced they're going to be. It's called mm-hmm. Cobalt Fight Club. Mm-hmm. Yep, huh. very popular. And I'll, yep. and, I'll, and I'll post the link in our Discord. Um, but oh, then okay. if you go to that, it'll basically you can just say, okay, here's here's the party makeup. Like here's how many pl- how many players are in the party. Here's what level they are. Um, and then okay, here's what they're going to be fighting. So say you've got four four players of level six and uh, let's say they're going to be fighting. Let's say let's say they're going to be fighting a beholder for whatever mm-hmm. reason. <laughs> yeah, um, and it will tell you flat off the bat. You know, is this encounter too easy or too hard? Or in this case, it's a deadly encounter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and then you can bow, and then you can say, okay, well maybe maybe I need to scale this back. And there I'm, there are lesser versions of beholders you could use if you want to really have a beholder fight. Uh, yeah. But still want your party to survive more than two rounds, or say, okay, well, maybe I need to find <laughs> find something else. Or okay, well, what else could I add on to this that will make it easier, or make it maybe a little harder if it's a little if it's too easy of a fight? So it's a very fun t- kind of tool mm-hmm. to play around with. That's really useful, actually. And the make other thing is kind of sorry. What do you say? <laughs> Just make it an undead beholder. <laughs> still scary. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that's made it a little bit more tricky is that I have one new player um, that joined a little later and I'm still kind of getting a, a beat on him. Uh, so that's kind of changed the dynamics a little bit and it's mm-hmm. kind of changed where where things are headed a little bit. 
So, mm-hmm. but yeah, that'll be an interesting thing to play around with. Yeah. My players were, speaking of undead beholders, my players <laughs> were so frightened because they had heard about this undead beholder they were going to come up against. Mm-hmm. That when they finally got to meet their undead beholder, their first encounter with an undead beholder, they, well, two things happened. One, I rolled a minus one on on its initiative. (laughs) So it went dead last. (laughs) And because everyone was so frightened of it, they discharged every single highest level (laughs) damage. (laughs) It did not get a turn. (laughs) <laughs> yeah well, that can happen too uh-huh. yeah. yeah yeah it's it's funny because um i played a lo- i also played a lot of i mean i played a lot of every edition but i, I ran a lot of D fourth edition and that system is so balanced that you could easily switch one creature out for another because the stats are so they're so similar based on level and based on the role of the creature but I mean, whatever that has uh, pros and cons. But the thing that that taught me is I can easily make a creature. All I have to do is go to the book and find qualities or characteristics that I want this creature to particularly have. I just have to find a different creature that has that. And when I put all those together, then I, I sort of, so I sort of do creature creation backwards. I sort of think about what I want it to do. And then I go find if there are any other creatures in, in published works that have that and then I pull those out and then I go back and figure out okay how hard would that actually make it based on their character creation rules in in the monster manual and if it's too hard now I start fiddling um, in the more granular pieces right Mm -hmm. but usually it's just a matter of kind of you know reskinning what's there if I need a creature that has you know uh, uh, the ability to regenerate and like, you know, like a troll, okay, a troll can regenerate. If I need a creature that has that, okay, now I know if that, if I know a troll can regenerate, but maybe I don't want fire to be the thing that stops them from regenerating. I'll pick something different, right? Maybe mm-hmm. it's, um, it's, uh, it's radiant damage that stops them from regenerating or something. And then now you suddenly ha- have a creature that's not at all what they expect, and yet it's got the, you know, you could make it the same level and the same power level and all that stuff as, as something that's already published. So I rarely ever make a creature from scratch. The idea might be from scratch, like, oh, I think this might be cool. But then I just go look at what's already there. I do make occasionally something that's brand new, but that's probably maybe 5% of what I do. 95% of what I do when I'm planning my games is based on what's already been play tested and published and everything. So... You know, that's how it goes. <laughs> I wish I, I wish, I wish I was, oh man, I probably shouldn't say this, knock on wood. I wish I, I was, if I was in a position where I could spend more time, then I probably would design more rather than just pull things in and, and add different things together to make something pseudo new. I would actually create newer things altogether, but I just don't have time for that. I, I would never run games if I did that. I would have to spend all my time designing, and I would never get a chance to test or use any of it because mm-hmm. it would take me too much time. Okay, so if there's nothing else that anybody wants to say about that, we'll probably revisit uh, those topics again. Mm-hmm.